This show is brought to you by earpeeler.com. to episode 158 of the Mars Attacks podcast. It's been a while. It's been a few months. Uh, this episode, for example, the interview that um, that I'm releasing was recorded back in October, October, excuse me, of 2017 with Aaron Camaro of the great, great Decibel Geek podcast. And you'll notice that there are certain things that we talk about that uh, that have kind of been answered. This this episode focuses on Aaron and wrestling, and I do want to thank Aaron for coming on and listening to me babble about wrestling for for the entire time that we spoke. And it was uh, a ton of fun to talk to him. And um, and again, if you're if you're a fan of the genre you'll know like for example the broken matt hardy stuff and there's there's a few other things that uh we touch upon that have already come to fruition or they've gone a certain way uh which we discuss during the episode but um in any event uh i do want to thank anyone who's still subscribing to this podcast who is uh checking this out for the first time who is maybe um I don't know, coming on here because of the Despot Geek podcast. And um, I just want to mention that uh, I'm I'm doing another podcast, which is uh, to help the guys from Despot Geek out that are running the Rockin' Pod Expo 2 down in Nashville, August 25th. There's a GoFundMe, and um, I'll have links to that in the show notes. And what I'm doing is a, a I'm helping contribute to a, a VIP podcast where I'm interviewing other podcasters that are going to be there. And uh, actually, I just hung up with uh, Chris Vaglio, co-host of Galaxy of Geeks podcast with me. And uh, it's, to me, it's been pretty cool talking to all these podcasters. And um, essentially what it boils down to is anyone that donates $10 or more has access to these shows, and they'll be coming out. Um, at the moment, you'll be receiving two episodes a month from here to the Expo, so that's for four months, and there will be a end-of-month live stream as well. So if you're interested, uh, go to the GoFundMe, and um, after donating $10, just put uh, you know put VIP uh, podcast, and, and you'll be granted access, or if you want, to uh, you know, donate for a different perk or whatever. As long as it's over ten bucks, you'll also get the VIP. So um, the the other thing that I do want to mention, and it's something that I had started doing before, and kind of copying off of uh, Decibel Geek once again, is the whole thing where they have their Geeks of the Week, and I have the uh, the Mars Rovers. Uh, sort of a play on the the name of the uh, podcast, obviously. 
But uh, yeah, so let me run these down real quick. These were people that, with episode 157, all the way back in June of 2016, uh, did... um, did repeat or or like on Facebook and on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So uh, here we go. Uh, James McCormack from the Mind Over Metal podcast. Ian Wadley from the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Raul Reyes. Shane Abair. Chris Vaglio, who I just mentioned, uh, from Galaxy of Geeks podcast. Uh, Richie Waddle from... Uh, Focus on Metal, Adam Marshall down in Australia there. Thank you, sir. Uh, Joshua Toomey from the Talk To Me podcast. Aaron Griffith from the Signal to Noise, Iron City Rocks fame, and currently part of Radioactive Metal. Uh, Diana Ugalde, somebody who's a, a friend of the family who actually, unfortunately, passed away between the time the uh, last episode aired and and this episode. Chris Sinzak of the Despo Geek Podcast, Carl Alvarez uh, from the Inside Metal Documentary Series, Cesar Cruz, who um, has since become a professor. Wow, <laughs> so formal. Um, he's also worked on a bunch of different films and things. He's got a film that uh, is advertised on Ear Peeler called uh, Aria. We have Gina Elizabeth Larkin, Sean Reinert, Adam Cox, Bill Wang Jr., <laughs> Joey Haney from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast, Kenneth McDonald, Jeremy Harris. We have Angel Rubin from here in Spain, Angel Rubin. <laughs> He's a, uh, a great heavy metal lead singer. For a bunch of, uh, for various projects here, his own stuff, and he's worked with a bunch of uh, bands that have toured all over Spain and South America. So there you go. Eric Hialea, uh, Margaret Gomez Haley, Robert Ross, Eric Kluber from Void Vader, Mark Tyler, Devin Dungan. We have Big Mario from Hell's Fire, great band out of Madrid. Check them out. Uh, Steve Hoker, uh, we have uh, another, it's funny, there's a few people from my family here. This is almost like having my my mother vote for me here. So uh, this is my, my cousin. Uh, in English, it would be Patricia Cabarga. <laughs> um, let's see, Adam Cox, who's a Despo Geek staff writer. Did I mention him already? Yeah, I did. Okay. There you go. You get the uh, two for there, Adam. Uh, Kerry Gordon from the MSR Cast Metal Geeks podcast. Sean Cullen, Liam Forstall, uh, Alex for Jesus. This one I can't pronounce. Um, Adam Ferenc, I guess it's pr- it's pronounced. I apologize. Matt Porter, uh, Lynn Connolly, Teresa Victor, uh, Bradley Bingham. And we had a, a bunch of different um, sites post about uh, the the episode as well. And let me pull those up real quick. If they're not gone here. Uh, let's see. So there is uh, radiostation.com uh, 695therock.com posted about it. Musicworld.space. Uh, EmpireExtreme.com 
And Hard Rock Radio Live also posted about uh, the previous episode, which was the John Bush uh, episode talking about anthrax. And that episode was a long time in the making. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not ashamed to say that, uh, you know, after doing that episode, it was like winning the Stanley Cup for me. It was something that I had fought for for a long time. And it was cool that I was able to, uh, you know, finally finally pull it off. So, um, and, you know, the, the idea is for me to start podcasting more. I have been focusing all my eggs in ear peeler, basically. Uh, trying to see, you know, if that will work or not. And, you know, I don't know, the, the jury's still out. We'll see where things go. I posted uh, a little while ago, a few weeks back, that, you know, if if I can't start, you know, uh, funding the the site, basically, that, that that I may have to move on to, to other things. And, I mean, I'm not bullshitting with that. It's just the... the, the just the nature of how the way things work, to quote John Bush there. Um, it's it's just the truth. Um, I did have Chris Aiken. Chris Aiken, I, I didn't mention. Uh, he's helped me out tremendously with some stuff uh, concerning ear peeler. He's also uh, posted some kind words up on Facebook and, and different things. So I do have to uh, thank him for that. That's um, Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show. Um, so, yeah, and... So I've been focusing on that, and hopefully now I've I've been able to stabilize enough of ear peeler so that I can get back to podcasting and doing things that I've been promising to release in the past that I will I completely intend on doing. So that's that. Um, and there, let's see. So I I did discuss ear peeler. I did discuss. Um, uh, what I have going on with Galaxy of Geeks and and uh, the Rock and Pod Expo podcast, but I've also started doing a new releases show with uh, Mark Striegel for Talking Metal, and those are posted up on TalkingRock.net, and they're posted up on uh, Talking Metal's YouTube site. So check that out. Also, uh, we just recently talked quite a bit about uh, the new Judas Priest album. Firepower, and if you haven't checked that out, definitely uh, do so. Uh, the music at the top is from iCluster, which is a band that I helped with uh, lyric, kind of sharpening their lyrics and making sure that it's grammatically cor- correct and that most of the pronunciation is stuff that you can understand. And that is the side project of uh, uh, David from the uh, Spanish thrash band Angelus Apatrida. So uh, check that out. That's up on iTunes and, and all those great things. So uh, anyway, this episode is 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 a doozy. It is going to be kind of long here. So uh, so yeah, let's. Uh, Let's hop on into the interview with Mr. Aaron Camaro. And uh, and that's it. We'll catch you next time right here on Mars Attacks.
Welcome, one and all, to episode 158 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And this time around, we have a special co-host that kind of decided to check his messages after two years and has finally agreed to uh, come on the show. Uh, We have the one and only Aaron Camaro from the Decibel Geek podcast on the other end of the line here. Aaron, how are you, sir? Victor, I'm doing pretty great, man. Sorry it's been so long since I called you back, but I'm really excited to finally be on the show with you. Awesome. Yeah, and and we picked, uh, I threw a few options at Aaron to see what he wanted to talk about. And for those that, I mean, most people that listen, that are listening to this, I'm assuming are fans of Aaron's to begin with. Um, Aaron has a long history in the uh, wrestling industry. So. I do. Yeah, most people know me from Decibel Geek, but I've done a bunch of stuff down here in the southern United States with professional wrestling. I moved down to Nashville, and you know, coming from Wisconsin, where there really isn't a whole lot of that, to down to Nashville, where it was at that time, it was all over the place. There was little promotions all over a fifty-mile radius around Nashville, and it was like, you know what? I could probably get my foot in the door doing this, and I got to do all kinds of really cool stuff over the years, being a part of all that. Awesome. So we'll we'll touch upon a little bit of that, and we're going to talk about some tracks that Aaron picked. And as I was sort of mentioning off-air, when I received the list of, of songs that he sent to me, all these memories came flooding back, especially um, certain things with regards to a, 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 kind of the, the small engine that could, the uh, small bystanders of who they were competing with, obviously, um, which was ECW was a federation out of Philadelphia that at that point in time, uh, I remember watching at midnight or even later on the uh, Madison Square Garden Network in That's New York, right. New Jersey area. Yeah. So um, uh, let's just jump into a, a quick track here before we, we talk to Aaron a little more and I don't know, do I have to edit this song with the uh, Beastie Boys intro of them saying No Sleep Till before it hops over to uh, Kiss's War Machine? Yeah, why not? Make it legit. All right, so here we go. Uh, Here's a little War Machine by Kiss. This was Taz's original theme in, in ECW, or I should say it was his theme around Uh, I guess the late 90s before he hopped over to uh, the WWE. Here we go, a little war machine.
right, what you heard there was Mr. Aaron Camaro's first pick, which uh, is a shocking um, pick. You would think that you would have picked something else outside of Kiss. <laughs> outside well, of, you know, a track that features Vinnie Vincent. I mean, that's that that's well, sort of odd Vinnie Vincent decibel geek combination. Well, we did just get to talk about Vinnie Vincent for last week's whole entire episode. So, you know, it's all fresh in my mind. But, yeah, man, you're right about that ECW. I remember, you know, I only knew wwf at the time before it became wwe and right. a little bit right. of wcw and i remember one night when i was a teenager and i came home and my parents had like this satellite system but it was called stars right. and right. it was just like one of the first satellite systems out there i think people could actually afford and they got that msg channel and you know during the day you're checking it out and there's never nothing on it to watch just kind of weird stuff and you flip over it but one night, I'm home on a Saturday night at, you know, be right around midnight, I guess, and get down in front of the TV down in the basement, start flipping through the channels. And it's like, whoa, wrestling. I've never seen this before. ECW, what? And, like, one of the first things I ever seen was Tommy Dreamer getting thrown off the balcony through the pyramid of tables. And I'm yeah. just like, holy shit. You know, and this, this will go to show what a big wrestling nerd I am, you know, at this time and throughout my whole life. So my friends would be out partying and stuff on a Saturday night, and I'd be out having a good time with them, and then it would get to be like 1130. I'd be like, yeah, you know, I really got to get going. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? You know, party's just getting cooking, man. You know, we got another keg on the way. Like, yeah, you know, I, I just, I really got to, you know, I, I got to get home, you know. And they like, what? You know, and I say, oh, you know, ECW's on. They're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't understand, <laughs> you know, and I'd always have to go home and I never wanted to miss ECW because I'd never seen anything like it. It was like WWE and WCW, but geared towards dudes my age. And I right. loved it. Right. Yeah, which, I mean, that's interesting because they would end up trying to copy off of ECW and doing the old uh, Shotgun Saturday Night Show, which would be yeah. like in like small clubs. And they would eventually have Heyman actually uh, guesting on the show as well. I remember guess the first show had uh which actually jericho just released in an episode on the uh i think it's the 20th anniversary of brian pillman's passing and oh, wow. the first episode featured like pillman freaking out i i remember that like at some some like small club in new york where they had set this up and yeah similar to what you're saying you know i was um i mean i watched msg all the time because i was uh and still am a huge New York Rangers fan, and that's the network where I would watch my hockey games. So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you similar to what you're saying, Saturday night, get home, you know, get home to watch Headbangers Ball or, or whatever may have been on at that time that I would usually come home to watch and flipping through the channels and you see this low-budget, wrestling basically and it immediately captivated me i remember saturday nights was was ecw and then it was like pre dana white ufc it was it was when ufc was really like rough and and underground yeah. and and you'd see bones and things snapping that aren't you know that isn't allowed nowadays in in ufc so um what? but Heyman was 
was such a mastermind though with with music. I mean, mm-hmm. you had you had Taz with War Machine. You would have them playing White Zombie all the time. You would have them right. playing, you know, all. It was essentially metal and and rap for the most part. I mean, it wasn't right because you had. Yeah, like Balls Mahoney would come to down to the ring to Big Balls by ACDC and, you know, Axel Rotten with the Marilyn Manson and stuff. And um, yeah. do you ever hear the Bam Bam Bigelow theme where Bruce Dickinson does a cover of the Scorpions, the zoo? Yes. That's yeah, insanely I actually, awesome. I, I actually have the soundtrack. Uh, right with, on. Uh, yeah. That whole yeah. soundtrack is really good. And here's the cool thing about ECW was that, you know, while – WWF and WW and WCW, you know, they were creating their own themes. Paul Heyman was basically without permission using different bands music as entrance themes for the wrestlers. But the fact was, you know, nowadays, if you watch WWE or NXT, you see how huge the entrance has become. You know, yeah. the entrance yeah. is almost as important as the match at this point in the, the way things are done. And that all really kind of started in ECW where like, you know, enter Sandman would come on before the Sandman would come out. You'd see him up in the crowd and, you know, them first couple strains of that song would come on and the place would go nuts because they knew the Sandman was coming and it's the perfect song for him, especially when Motorhead does it. I love that version. <laughs> yeah. Um, me being the, I mean, she- uh, I think Arn Anderson appeared there one time, and they actually had him come out to the Four Horsemen by Metallica. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, that that was awesome. Shit, being the the the, the finicky uh, armchair wrestling fan that I am, uh, <laughs> always timing how long it takes to uh, uh, for for the entrances now, especially during the pay per views, where you see that at least in my case, and maybe this is just my uh, Larry David side of me being very anally retentive but uh i'm seeing that there's 15 minutes to go and you know that they're gonna spend 10 minutes on intros i'm like damn this this match to close out the pay-per-view is gonna be really fast and short please make sure it doesn't suck (laughs) yeah you know if they're gonna do something like that it's got to be a good surprise or something you didn't expect which you know you get that sometimes every once in a while with wwe nowadays i don't hate it but i don't love it as much as i used to either Right. No, I I hear you. And I mean, quite honestly, you you mentioned NXT. For for me, NXT is my favorite show to watch. It reminds yeah. me a lot of the old um WCW Saturday night like before before the NWA existed, before the, you know, the whole attitude era stuff, and I love that era and most of my favorite wrestlers were around during that time. But there was just something like back with Sting wore the colorful makeup. Yeah, and like the rise of the original Four Horsemen and, you know, the Road Warriors and stuff like that. It was special to watch that at 6.05 Eastern on TBS. You know, there was something to that. And I think to their credit, with with NXT, they've really done a great job in sort of recapturing that sort of essence. Uh, The shows are actually short enough. They're an hour long. So it actually captivates you. It leaves you wanting more. It's almost like an encore all the time where the show doesn't overstay its welcome. And um, to their credit, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, I don't know if you've heard this yet or not, but they're bringing back uh, War Games for their next pay-per-view. I saw that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I, f I actually found out while they were announcing it because uh, Rock from Radioactive Metal um, is a pretty good friend of mine, and we talk about metal and wrestling all the time, and he lives in the area of Florida where they shoot NXT, and whenever anything big like that takes place, he's, he always starts shooting me uh, pictures and stuff. He goes, you won't believe it, and he sends me a picture, and all I see is this big like huge screen that says uh, uh, NXT TakeOver War Games. I'm like, well, Triple H finally figured out how to get War Games into the WWE. So. Yeah, had to do it through NXT. <laughs> um, That's pretty cool. I love it when they bring back that vintage stuff like that. You know, maybe it's just one of them things like when you get to that certain age, I guess you say, well, you know, the music ain't as good as it was when I was young and the wrestling wasn't as good as I when I was young. But, man... I just think it was back when there was WCW and WWF at the same time, and they were actually competing with each other, and it was a legit competition. That yeah. brought out the best in both companies, and at that time, wrestling just couldn't be beat because then you had ECW too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, as you mentioned before, the the whole aspect of being surprised i remember seeing you know after seeing jake the snake on wwf programming for years all of a sudden shows up on wcw like what the hell is this yeah. you know and this was way before the whole you know nwo angle and stuff and it was it it, it was a shock you know the internet wasn't there so if you were lucky you had a, a local paper shop that had you know, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated or, yes. you know, S Slam Magazine or something along those lines. And you would get those, like, quick, like, uh, excerpts of, of you know, what what went down at the Boston Garden or what went down at the, uh, um, you know, up in Chicago before they had the United Center. I forget the name of the old uh, arena up there. But, um, yeah, you, you got to read, you know, who showed up where, who all of a sudden, you know, wasn't in a certain territory anymore. So there was, like, this whole, right. like, mystical factor that we got to see play out when, you know, the Monday Night Wars took place. Um, right. That, and, you know, even for that, for me, because growing up in Wisconsin, I had AWA, which okay. was based out of Minneapolis, but traveled, you know, did the whole loop up there in the Northern Territory. But, you know, I remember seeing, like, I watch AWA and then I'd watch WWF. And I kind of liked AWA better because the WWF I was seeing most of the time was always, you know, Rick Rude versus Barry Horowitz and, you know, <laughs> Razor Ramon versus Reno Riggins, you know. And the, you yeah. always knew, you know, you always who knew gonna who win. was going to win. Yeah. But then with AWA, you just kind of never knew because they actually had decent matchups against each other. And right. uh, I always remember when Kurt Henning. Because he was like one of the main dudes on AWA, and all of yeah. a sudden he was gone, but then he was Mr. Perfect in WWF, and it was like the first time it really kind of awoken me to, wow, you know, that can happen? That's mm -hmm. amazing. And talking about like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, man, I was addicted to that when I was a kid. You know, I would <laughs> work my butt off and do anything around the house so I could get money to one, go to my Uncle Bruce's house and buy record albums from him because he was selling all his old records because – Records are done, man. It's cassette tapes. That's the right. way of the future. <laughs> but I'd get to buy his albums for a buck a piece because he was enlightening me. But my parents were like, don't just give them to him. Make them earn money for it. So then I right. would have my, you know, buy two 
two record albums, a, a wrestling magazine, a couple comic books, have some money left over for candy or whatever, kind of BS. And man, I was happy. And then moving down here to Nashville was cool because now I get to see and interact with a lot of the guys that I always read about in the magazines that never had a chance to see. Like when Jerry Lawler showed up in AWA after a while, kind of towards the end of it, that was pretty cool because then him and Kerry Von Erich are both in the AWA. I read about both of them in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines, but never got to see them. And then next right. thing you know, right. you know Lawler is you know he's the Memphis guy, and then you know the other dudes in the WWF, and it's like this is crazy, you know. And I don't know, man. To me, wrestling's always just been the highest form of entertainment besides hard rock and classic metal. Right. And so. So one of the things I was going to mention when you brought up AWA was how ESPN started broadcasting their matches or broadcasting a lot of the pay-per-views like on delay. And one of the most Show memorable the things that I remember was um, Kirk Henning with the uh, or Kurt Henning with the stack of dimes. I think it was knocking out Nick Bockwinkle for the belt. Yeah, and then. Um, the King pile driving, uh, heading for the belt. Like, I guess it was like a year later, which is when he ended up leaving and becoming Mr. Perfect. Right. And I suppose at that time, Aid Vern Gagne probably looks around and goes, who can we put the title on? Who do we got? We ain't got nobody yeah. Bring in Lawler and Von Eric and have them feud over it because we don't have nothing left. All the good yeah. ones are in WWF now. Yeah, absolutely. So, Getting back to the song that you picked, War Machine, um, what was it like for you to see Paz come out to the ring with that song? I mean, for me, I remember, you know, obviously being the huge Kiss fan that I was, Creatures of the Night, my all-time favorite album, um, and to be introduced to this new form of wrestling... And on top of that, one of the wrestlers is coming out to War Machine. For me, it was like, all right, he's automatically one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'm sold. You got me there. You had yeah, War Machine. I don't even need to know nothing else about this guy. I love him. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, I remember the first yeah. time, and I was just like, holy shit. You know, this is amazing. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, they're actually coming out to awesome songs that I know and love, you know, and it, it just added that much more enjoyment to it and, and gave you that much more to get behind as far as a wrestler goes, whether you like them or whether you hate them for the kind of music they're coming out to. It's kind of hard to hate a guy that's coming out to kiss. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, because I remember before that, like you had the Road Warriors in the NWA coming out to Iron Man by Black Sabbath. And yeah. as a result, uh, Vince McMahon had Rick Derringer record the song Demolition for the, the tag team Demolition. And that was like the most metal thing that they had ever done at that point in time. Yeah, so, that song is awesome. Yeah, that, uh, I've used that before, <laughs> even on a, a non-wrestling theme show, because I've always... Loved it. Um, but yeah, to turn it up a notch and to have, uh, you know, Taz come out, come out to kiss, just unbelievable. And later on to find out through podcasts and other things that him and, and actually uh, Bubba Ray Dudley are both huge kiss fans. 
So it was, uh, yeah, Shane Douglas uh, too. I think the story is, is that Shane Douglas originally wanted to use War Machine, but then saw how much better it fit Taz, you know, and suggested it to Taz. And Taz being a Kiss fan said, "Yeah, man, that's perfect." Yeah, yeah, I, I Douglas, and I think uh, Tommy Dreamer may be another one that was into, you know, the same kind of music. Actually. So, um, about four months ago, I had an opportunity to take a long drive, about 45 minutes, with uh, Tommy Dreamer from the Nashville airport to a wrestling show. We were both working in Lewisburg. And wow. so I, I pulled out the Zoom and recorded, which I still got to release this for the, uh, the VIPs, but I recorded a good part of a conversation with Tommy Dreamer, but I didn't talk to him about wrestling as much as I talked to him about music. And I can tell you this about Tommy Dreamer. If the almighty power came down from above and said, you, Tommy Dreamer, may only listen to one band or artist for the rest of your days, Tommy Dreamer would pick Ozzy. Because wow. you get all Ozzy solo stuff and all his mm-hmm. favorite Sabbath. Ah. Which I thought was pretty smart. Yeah, that was a pretty good choice. But he told me a pretty funny story about um, Metallica playing and somehow... I don't know if Paul Heyman arranged it or what went on, but they got it where Sandman could actually be out on the stage while Metallica was playing Enter Sandman. And Tommy Dreamer was certain that Metallica had no idea who this guy was and why they were having him stand (laughs) out on the stage the way they did. I got to imagine it was around there somewhere around Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, because they were very small and it wasn't like... um like how the indies are today or how TNA has been these past few years where people were working other shows. No, they were working ECW and they were only working ECW. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's tough to do in an independent, you know, promotion to have guys that are regulars that, you know, are going to be there every week. You really got to have something special going on to get guys to keep coming back. You know, the good ones to work the shows because there's always other shows, other promoters looking to book these guys if they're good. So you got to make it worth their while and give them something great to work with. And ECW, I mean, to be a wrestler and to feel like an artist, man, Mm -hmm. it had to been great to work there. Well, I guess Jim Ross put it best by saying that there were plenty of guys drinking uh, Heyman's Kool-Aid. So I guess that right. was uh, <laughs> that was the draw. He was the uh, you know he was able to be Jim Jones and and convince everyone to keep coming back, regardless whether. And there have been a million stories about whether they got paid or not, or or what the conditions were. But they they all still loved uh, they they all loved Paulie. They they all loved them. I mean, even the retrospect that they did for the uh, network, I guess, about a year ago, two years maybe at this point, and that had Taz, had the Dudley Boys on it, had Tommy Dreamer on it, and they all talked about how much they loved working with one another and, you know, whether the money was there or not. There was A lot of it had to do with the camaraderie. A lot of it had to do with the gang mentality that was them against the world, more or less. Right. Yeah, and and that too, and if you think about it, like all those guys, they eventually ended up signing with WCW or the WWE, but they always, like, you talk to them nowadays, and it always, they wanted to talk about ECW and what it was like in ECW. It was almost like at a certain point, you know, after doing what they loved for so long, you know, and and being involved in these great storylines, you know, as opposed to some poor guy that's, you know, he's in a storyline working 
for Vince McMahon where he's feuding with a guy because he's angry with the other guy because he dresses like a clown and throws buckets of confetti in his face, you know, <laughs> versus a story about, you know, Raven and Sandman and, you know, Sandman's wife and son involved and, you know, all these crazy twists and turns that the whole story takes. And it's like, man, how much more fun was it for Sandman to work? something like that in ECW versus being hardcore hack and just being thrown into stupid, yeah. meaningless matches in WCW, you know, sure. You're going to take the money because at some point you got to say, okay, this has been great, but now I got to make some real money and I have an opportunity to do it. I would much rather stay here, but I know that the money is a for sure thing. I'm going to go do it. Even if it sucks. Cause Hey, I'm going to get paid and I'm going to be on national TV. So you can't blame them for doing it, but you know every one of them, once they got there, pretty much for the most part, probably really missed ECW. And the freedom, the creative freedom, because just like a band, you know, if a band comes out with an album or they have a sound they like and they get into the recording studio and the producer and the record company and the execs all come in and they say, yeah, we like you and we signed you and everything, but we want you to sound like this. And it's completely different than what you want to be and what you are comfortable doing, but you got to do it because you're getting paid, you know, yeah. and then you probably yeah. kind of miss the times when you could just do what you wanted to do be what you wanted to be have some creative input into what's going on with your character so then not only are you a performer now you're also an artist you know you're you're creatively contributing to the whole thing and to me you know i i don't really charge too much for the wrestling shows i work because i love to be a part of it and i love to contribute and i love just the whole atmosphere of it and the idea of putting on a show that people are just going to love that are pro wrestling fans so you know the artistry in it is way more important a lot of times than the money until the money has to become more important than the integrity in the art. You know, it, it just sucks like that sometimes, but eventually you got to get paid, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that leads me to this question. What does the, uh, Aaron Camaro rider look like for these, uh, wrestling events? Do you have, <laughs> do, do they have to pick you up in like a, a white limo with a jacuzzi in the back? Um, no. Um, are you provided no. with with your own table for these events, or is that not uh, on your rider? If I really wanted one, I could probably get my own table. But then I'd <laughs> want to have some merchandise to sell at it, so I don't I'm would pretty actually, popular. Would you actually... I, I look uh, like a rock roller. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you show up on time, though, or would you show up like... 30 seconds before the gates are supposed to open. Uh, no, man, when it comes to me and working at a wrestling show, I'm always there way early because the hanging out and reminiscing with people and getting to see people you haven't worked with or get to meet really awesome people that you look up to. And that's, that's half the fun of it for me. Oh shit. So you actually like socializing with people at these events as opposed to, uh, showing up and, <laughs> and and being like a a, a a fucking wet noodle in the corner yeah i just can't do it man it's not my nature <laughs> i'm fun cool. so so talking about a band that's definitely rock and roll one of one of my biggest thrills being from new jersey was talking to um um jesus and now i just brain farted with the guy's names. Because um, bon I was going to mix. No, not John Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, well, your next pick here is uh, Matt Hardy's old theme song from Monster Magnet. 
And um, damn it, I'm mixing uh, Kirk Winstein in my head and Dave um, Windorf. Dave Windorf. Damn it. Thank you. Um, yeah. Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet. I got to ask him about writing this theme song, actually. Really? What do you say? Uh, he mentions more or less that he's, you know, that he was an old school wrestling fan, basically, and that they asked if if they could put a song together for uh, uh, for a soundtrack that was coming out. And the soundtrack is the uh, forced entry, which to me is probably the best soundtrack WWF ever released. It had this on it, had. Uh, Live for the Moment, which is um, Matt Hardy's soundtrack, or excuse me, uh, old uh, intro music. It has Rob Van Dam's uh, entry music on it, One of a Kind. It has yeah. uh, Chris Benoit's music, which I always thought was cool and always thought yeah. that it was uh, kind of a ripoff of a Halloween song, actually. The game being done by Drowning Pool. Yeah, the game being done by Drowning Pool, that's right. Which, that was pretty cool, right, I like which, that. Even that crazy ass version of Legs by Kid Rock, that's even sorta cool. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing from top to bottom was was pretty solid. You so, know, and here's uh, another thing, you know, and I might be weird because I'm not the biggest Limp Biscuit fan around, but I always think that when it comes to Limp Biscuit, their best stuff was the WWF mixes of their songs that they used for The Undertaker. Yeah, I'll I'll give that to you because they used for example, a special mix of rolling for him when he would when he would come out with the motorcycle. Yeah, and that you're probably right on that that it sounded better than the single that was crammed down our throats at that point in time. Sure, sure was. <laughs> hey, talking about the times, I mean that one came out in 2008. Yeah, it's got Creed on there. <laughs> yeah, which wasn't anybody's theme. It was sort of like, okay, well. Who can who can we sort of capitalize you know, on their popularity and try to sell this even more than it's already uh, gonna sell? Which which is weird because there were so many, like we're saying, so many cool theme songs on there. I remember, I believe I picked this up the day it came out. So was one was one wrestling themes were were definitely cool. Not to say that the ones that they have now aren't cool because there are definitely a lot of really cool uh themes i'll i have to cop to uh messing with my wife's phone all the time and changing the text message uh ringtone and the regular ringtone that that's set up for whenever i call her for a time there the um the ringtone for me calling her up was uh shinsuke nakamura's uh intro music and uh and the text message was uh bobby Roode's glorious so <laughs> nice. I thought you were going to say every time you text her, it goes, I got two words for you. <laughs> <laughs> if she were to understand that, that wouldn't be a bad, uh, <laughs> a bad one to go with. But uh, just just the words glorious was, an, w- was enough to sort of convey the message. And I guess having me show her uh, the intro on several occasions sort of worked out well for both of those. Right on. That's the cool thing I like about WWE nowadays. I think my favorite thing about it is the fact that when I moved to Nashville, that was when TNA was doing their Wednesday night 999 pay-per-views or whatever they were. 
we would actually go down there almost every Wednesday night. This was before I ever got a, even a toe into the business. We were wow. just going down there in spans, and we had a blast all the time. I got to speaking to Sandman a little bit earlier. I actually, me and my brother had a plan, and we, we sat in the bleachers one time, and we, we had a group of friends with us, but we were all kind of spaced out real good. So there was a lot of space in between us because that way when the Sandman came out, we had everybody clear back except for me and my brother right in the middle. So Sandman looked up and we're screaming at him, Sandman, Sandman. And he looks at us and he sees this big open spot right up there just waiting on him. And he comes back up there and everybody squeezes back in and he pours beer in my eyes. It was awesome. (laughs) But now, you know, because at that time we were getting to see guys like AJ Styles, guys like, uh, boy, who else? Bobby Roode, you know, talking about Glorious. Uh, Eric Young, you know, was a big part of that back in those days. And to see those guys, you know, AJ Styles, man, he is without a doubt the best wrestler in my mind that they've got right now. And to be able to remember meeting him with my son when he was just, you know, he was pretty young himself, you know, and and now he's on the big stage. Another one, the referee, uh, Rudy Charles, you know, over the years after being in the business a little bit down here. I got to become pretty good friends with that guy. And to see him on SmackDown referee and matches, man, that's a trip to me, too, because I sat and watched wrestling pay-per-views with him and, and got to hang out with him backstage a hundred times, you know, and just the coolest guy around. You flip on the TV, there he is, refereeing a big, important match for the WWE. And I say, man, this is great, you know, to see these people that you got kind of, you know, luckily I was here at that time. That was the thing, man. Those Wednesday night pay-per-views were awesome. Because, I mean, you never knew Roddy Piper could be there one week. Dusty Rhodes could be there the next week. You know, you just never knew who was going to show up at those. You know, New Jack jumping off the balcony, you know, and Miss Dude going through a table. And, you know, my my little son watching it and going nuts for Shark Boy. You know, it was an amazing time to be a wrestling fan here in Nashville. And then they went to Orlando. Boy, was everybody pissed. Which, which made zero sense, but... Uh... Given what a, given the territory down there, I mean, given everything in Memphis, given everything in that area, the USWA, how it was strong down there, and you go to Orlando where WCW floundered for years. (laughs) How did it make sense? How was how was that going to come in and do better than what WCW was doing with Hogan, for example? Um, right. That's that's why they've succeeded with uh, with NXT is that it's a small venue, it's at a university, um, it's a controlled atmosphere where it's always diehards, and it isn't yeah. one of those things where oh well you know um, you're in Universal Orlando do you want to go see uh, a wrestling match? Uh, sure, okay. Well, who's wrestling and as much as I love a lot of these guys, um, you know, Shark Boy isn't exactly gonna draw in or, you know, um, the, the, the same amount of people as in the case of NXT nowadays, you know, when they had Samoa Joe down there or, well, right, or, yeah, well there's your one. perfect example. Samoa Joe was at NXT and they were, they had the perfect crowd reaction. He was getting over. Whereas yeah. in Orlando, Half empty place with some, you know, tourists and casual, you know, people that would watch from time to time wasn't wasn't exactly the same thing. So, right, it makes sense. you know, unless 
let's say it was some kind of financial thing because I can tell you from experience because I've worked with promotions that have run that fairgrounds, the the old TNA Asylum, and it's not cheap to run a wrestling show at the historic, you know, Tennessee State Fairgrounds. But I mean, is that the only show in town? Though was was that the only place that they could pull that off? Or I'm you know I'm assuming that given the the history the the territory has there. I would assume there were more options for that, not just the fairgrounds. Right, but that's the place in town. I mean, that building was specifically built by uh, Nick Goulis for wrestling. You know, that's huh. that's the history of it. You know, that's why it's it's built the way it is. It was all designed to house wrestling shows in there, which is pretty cool. I always like that. Awesome. All right, that was my let's... first goal. I got into the business down here. It's like, I got to work a show at the fairgrounds. And then when I worked the show at the fairgrounds, I was like, I got to work more shows at the fairgrounds. This is freaking awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. So let's jump in real quick to this monster magnet song and then we'll come back and we'll get into that even further about how you started up with, you know, working these various shows and, and how you work them in what capacity. So, uh, let's go with, um, with Matt Hardy's old, old intro live for the moment coming off of uh fourth century this is monster magnet there's a little pile of ashes where my old life used to be credit cards and memories all dumped into the sea well this ain't no time for both as i fly into the sun well, you can't trust anybody if you can't trust number one. Well, the man tells me my future is not so far away. Get ready for tomorrow. I gotta waste my whole today. My inner life knows better. It's what I wanna hear. Just like a diamond bullet. But it's crystal, crystal clear.
second pick that was a little monster magnet there and i love that so, yeah it, it's an awesome song and how um again w- when i spoke to dave uh, windorf he talked about how well, one of the things that he discussed was his whole writing process of songs and wrestling comic books and the news have a lot to do with fueling what goes on in his head when he's putting lyrics together. So, um, the lyrics of that song talking about slamming a tornado and just different things. I mean, he's such a good songwriter that, I mean, the song sounds larger than life and it definitely like plays to the larger than life character that Matt Hardy was the time. And that's not even considering the whole broken Matt Hardy that he evolved into and, you know, and how his his persona has even gone and skyrocketed off into another direction. I'm hoping that maybe one day we'll be able to uh, revisit that in a pro- in a proper big stage like the uh, WWE. But um, yeah, it's too bad that was the last good thing that TNA had going for him was the broken universe, and then they found a way to screw that up too. But uh, I can tell you from experience, Matt Hardy is an awesome dude. I got to work with him at Crossfire Wrestling. I've done backstage segments where I'm the silly interview person trying to find out, you know, what's going on with Matt Hardy tonight kind of thing. And he's awesome. He's one of the most creative dudes I ever met. And I wasn't the least bit surprised when I saw him doing the broken thing. And I 
pretty blown away how awesome it was, you know, and how he yeah. was able to pull it yeah. off. And, you know, over the years, it's gone to show that it's, it's sometimes it's really tough when you're a really established character to make a big change like that and have people get behind it, you know, because you're going to always have the people that love the way you were and never want you to change. But in this case, Matt Hardy was able to take it and I think elevate his popularity higher than it's probably ever been and people were just going nuts to see that happen in the wwe and i'd have loved it if they could have just came in shooting with that right off the bat would have been amazing but like you say hopefully one day we'll get to see it and hopefully in the wwe they'll give matt the freedom to be creative with it like he was in tna when he wasn't asking anybody's permission <laughs> yeah absolutely at least he comes out and we still hear the delete chance so <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So, how did you get involved with um, with pro wrestling? Um, d- does it really differ that much? For, well, I guess I was going to say, does it differ that much from you getting into podcasting? But with podcasting, you honestly have the radio background. So, it isn't that far of a stretch. Whereas, with wrestling, I'm assuming that there was a completely different level of fandom that went behind it to actually propel you to sell yourself and get your foot in the door to work with, as you said, Crossfire, to work with uh, different um, different indie promotions in the area. Well, I mean, I'll tell you the first time I did it, I was nervous. The, the only thing it had in common with how I got into podcasting was I also found that on Craigslist. It was... Uh, <laughs> okay. It was posted as, you know, looking for people to work at a wrestling show. And so I said, wow, you know, what's this? So I sent a message, you know, and I used my radio background for that, you know, to try to impress somebody into letting me try something, anything. You know, I just wanted to be a part of something like that. Because like I said, at this point, I've been going to the, the TNA shows here in Nashville on Wednesday nights. And then when that went away. There was other promotions you'd go see, or every once in a while, Burt Prentice or Mike Porter, somebody would be putting on a show at the fairgrounds, you know, a big show. And so you'd go to that. And so I talked to these guys, like on the email, and they said, Well, come down here on Friday at five o'clock and meet us and we'll talk. And I say, Okay, cool. That weekend, I'm going to, I'm taking my, my girlfriend, well, she's is my wife now, and my kid to a wrestling show down at the fairgrounds. The main event is, uh, Jerry Lawler with, uh, he had somebody in his corner, some Memphis somebody that I, I don't remember, but he was facing off against Sid Vicious with Jimmy Hart in his corner. Wow. And so, wow. like, at intermission, everybody's rushing up to meet Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Hart's autograph and stuff. You know, and he's doing real good. And then it starts dying back down, and, and the show's about to start again. So Jimmy's kind of over there by himself. So I slide over to Jimmy Hart, and I say, hey, man, hey, Jimmy, you know, oh, hey, bro, how you doing? And I say, hey, man, I'm big big fan you know I, I man i love you jimmy hart you're awesome you know he's like oh thank you brother i mean it's a lot to me i said hey listen you know um I, i'm from wisconsin and i've got radio background and i really really love the business he's like, oh yeah and i said um you know if if my friends always say i got a big mouth you know would it be cool i called myself the mouth of the north and he's like oh yeah baby do what you gotta do god bless and i was like oh thank you jimmy and then i walked away and i was like oh yeah so then the next week <laughs> i go down to the show and i'm hanging out and they come over and they talk to me. It's it's actually Reno Riggins, the old you know guy that used to put the guys over in WWF. 
right, back in the day. Right. And uh, a guy named T.J. Weatherby, a dude named Tim that worked down here in the in the Nashville area or Tennessee, I guess, area as Kroll, the Death Stalker or something awesome like that. And uh, Paul Adams, who was a pretty well-known promoter and uh, manager himself. So I get to meet these guys. And I'm telling them, you know, and I, I'm dumb, you know, so I don't know what I'm doing because I never really got to be involved in something real like this, like a real wrestling promotion, the way it's been done for, you know, 50 years, you know, traditionally done right in Nashville, you know, the real deal. And so I telling them, you know, I got radio background, you know, I can act, I can play a character. I like, you know, they kept asking me, well, what, what can you do? And I tell them, well, yeah, I can do anything. You know, what do you want? And they say, well, what can you do? And I say, well, what do you want? You know, I'll do anything. So it never really went anywhere. So then my last stab at it was, Hey, uh, I don't know if this helps or anything, but, you know, I, I talked to Jimmy Hart and, uh, you know, he told me if I wanted to, as a matter of fact, he just told me last week, if I wanted, I could be known as the mouth of the North. And they looked at me like that caught their interest, you know, huh. and they looked at me and they're huh. like, really? And I was like, oh yeah, just talked to him last Saturday night at the show down at the fairgrounds. And they're like. Okay, so I don't know, you know, if they thought I was full of shit or if they thought it was cool that I was trying so hard or whatever, but I end up hanging out for quite a while. And then to the point where I'm not seeing nobody, I'm not talking to nobody. And so I go out to the car and I call my wife. I say, hey, I don't know, you know, about this. This is kind of weird. There's something strange going on here. And I don't know where everybody went. They never really gave me a yes or a no. And I'm thinking about just coming home. But, you know what, let me go back in one more time, see if I can find somebody. And then I, if I can't, I'm just going to head on home. So I go back in, and I'm hanging out for a few minutes. I'm talking to a guy who wants to be a cameraman, but they never told him nothing either. And all of a sudden, people start coming in. And I say, what's going on here? Turns out there's actually a show that night. That's why I'm not seeing anybody because they're all in the back getting ready for the show. I'm not invited backstage because, you know, who am I? Right. So I see right. Timmy Kroll, you know, he's coming up the ramp. And I say, hey, hey, man, hey. I said, is there anything I can be doing here tonight? He looks at me. He goes, um... Want a ring notes? And I said, shoot, yeah, man. You got a paper and a pen? He's like, sure, come on back. So now I'm in the locker room. So I get the paper and the pen, and I start going around introducing myself to people. You know, I'm Aaron. I'm going to be ring announcing tonight. What's your name? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Where are you from? Okay, all right. And what about do you weigh? You know, and give me your bullshit weight. You know, so then they tell me, and I go around, and half of them were like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm ring announcing tonight. I need to know these things. And they're like, really? Because nobody ever really asks us this stuff. And I was like, well, hell, man, I'm ring announcing tonight. I want to do it right. It was the first time I'd ever done it. And I got out there, and I, I did pretty good. You know, partway through, I see Reno Reagans over there on the announce table giving me the big thumbs up. And then when it's all said and done, they give me 20 bucks and say, you want to come back next week? And I don't tell them. I do it for free. I say, oh, yeah, man, that's great. Sure, I can be back next week. Sounds good. Thank you. You know, so then I'm making 20 bucks doing something I never believed I'd ever get an opportunity to do. So then from there... I uh, I worked for them for a while just doing the ring announcing and uh, never tried to input anything or nothing. Just kept my mouth shut, did my job, and just tried to learn, you know, the ins and outs of everything, you know. Because backstage at a wrestling show, especially on an independent level, it's a whole different world. You know, the, the, the rules of the world don't really apply inside of locker rooms. It's a strange situation, but it's a pretty exciting thing to be a part of. And so I do that for a while, and I want to do, like, interviewing. I want to do that. Let me do some of that, and I want to do some commentary. And they're like, oh, there's really not a spot here for that. So I get a call from a guy who's working with Mike Porter who's doing NWA main event. It's like, this is the National Wrestling Alliance. It's got all the lineage with the titles and everything. I say, man, that's cool. They say, come do commentary. 
So I go to commentary for them for, I don't know, probably a year. And then through ins and outs and changes and things, I end up getting to actually work my way into becoming the booker. You know, I'm not scheduling nobody. I'm not paying anybody. But with who I get that shows up at these shows, I get to write the stories for. And so nobody knows I'm doing that. So I'm also playing the commissioner. So really all I'm doing is coming out and introducing you like kind of kind of steering people and getting them to understand the storylines that are about to be. I was a narrator more than anything. And so then, you know, then I could stand around the corner and watch it all play out and see if it tricked the people or if it got the reaction, you know, and that was probably the best thing I really ever got to do in wrestling because that was where I felt I was at my best. I I love doing commentary. I've got to call matches of Geez, amazing people, you know, Mick Foley. I got to call a Mick Foley match. I got wow. to be in the ring for a Piper's Pit, wow. you know. I was I was in the ring for uh Jerry uh, one of the Jerry Lawler or uh, Jerry now Jerry Lynn retirement tour matches. Huh. Got to ring announce cool. for that, you know, cool. all kinds of cool stuff. But actually writing it and seeing it play out for the people and turn out the way you knew it would turn out, it's pretty satisfying. Yeah, who's who's had uh, more retirement tours, um, Jerry Lynn or the Who? Huh, that's a close one. I don't know. Probably <laughs> the Who. <laughs> Jerry Lynn's had a few. Much. He's 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 gone away and come back a few times. He was one of my all-time favorite guys uh, in ECW, so I never had a problem with him coming back. So. Right, yeah. When the fans demand it, what are you gonna do? Poor Absolutely. guy. He just—I wish he could go on forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That—that's awesome, though, man. Hearing that entire, you know, how you went from gradually from one thing to to the other. Did you ever have to bump in the ring or anything? Huh. Yeah, once or twice. Nothing serious. Um, let's see. One time I took a big, <laughs> this was pretty good. I, I had it. We were in the locker room. I was actually being a villain manager at a benefit show. It was something for a kid that needed some money, you know, so we all volunteered to go do this. And so it was my opportunity to play a heel manager. And it was, it was so much fun and I got to be creative. So my thing was being that it was in Fayetteville, Tennessee, I was coming in as the asshole from Wisconsin with the superior education and so much smarter than you rubes and all that good stuff. <laughs> Waving a, I did the old Scott DeMora. I took a hockey stick and put a, a Wisconsin flag on it. I was waving that around. I was wearing my cheese head. So the idea was, hey, you know, what do we do at the beginning of the show to set it up for the big main event later on? I said, hit him with my cheese head. And they're like, what? That's stupid. You know, what, cheese, everyone knows cheese head don't hurt. I said, no, 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 hit him right now with the, with the cheese head. Go ahead, do it. So dude took, takes it, bonks the other guy on the head with the cheese. I say, hand it back to me. He hands it back to me. I put it to my chest. I reach inside my jacket pocket, and I flip out a golden horseshoe, which then goes clang, clang, clang on the ground. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah. So it was like the, the uh, loaded cheese head. So right. we did that to him, right. and then at the end of the night, he got his comeuppance, and I didn't realize it was going to happen. So I'm standing outside the ring, running my mouth, and he reaches down, grabs me by my hair, pulls me up in the ring, you know, cocks the fist back. Everybody wants to see it, and I look at him, I go, don't hurt me, man. And he's like, <laughs> and he 
comes in with this punch that looks like it's going to knock my freaking jaw to the other side of my head and barely touches me. So I just throw myself as hard as I can to look like I just got shot in the face with a shotgun and just lay there. And they just drag me out of the ring and haul me to the back. <laughs> so those wow. that's about the wow. extent of my bumps. Um, I did a thing one time in a little show out here in, in uh, called HWA in Laverne where I got to get on a guy and beat him because I was being kind of villainous at the time. But... No, I'm not taking no tombstone pile drivers or anything crazy. <laughs> Nobody's jumping on me from the top rope. No way. I'm just not that athletically gifted or brave. <laughs> That's great. Who would think from listening to Decibel Geek all these years that you would be the, you know, the heel manager? Uh, I would expect uh, quite the opposite, that you would be the... The, the good guy going in there, but uh, be the, the baby face. Most of the time I am. Most of the time, like, I remember the first time I was going to do commentary, and it's funny to me now because first thing I said was, oh, I, I want to be the heel. You know, that seems like so much more fun. But it's, you know, you, you talk to people and people say, oh, it's way easier to get people to hate you. But it's it's also difficult, too. It's like a personality thing. I find it kind of difficult to be a heel. I mean... After a while, by the time we did that show, I was really able to get into the character of the the northern supremacist, you know. So I, I was able to embrace that and do it. But when it came to commentary, it came off kind of phony, you know. I really had to work on the commentary to be a to be villainous, you know, and mm-hmm. to be a jerk to the guy that I'm doing commentary with. And I found it so difficult that halfway through my first, you know, broadcast doing calling wrestling matches, I just stopped. I just stopped doing it and started being myself. And then, you know, I couldn't go wrong. So I'd be just talking about the match and what I liked about this and what I didn't like about that. And and I found it was like a lot easier just to kind of ease myself into the, the more of the baby face commentator because that was more of my actual personality. So it was a lot easier for me to be the good guy. And so now every once in a while, somebody will ask me to come out and try to be a villain, you know, try to make somebody else look like a good guy. And people don't buy it. You know, I'm just I'm I'm too fun, especially at wrestling shows. I'm one of my favorite. <laughs> things ever is i was at the fairgrounds it was the night brett the hitman heart was there there's five thousand people packed into that place i'm in the ring by myself and the music stops for just a second at the right moment where somebody way out in the distance this dude yells you suck camaro <laughs> and without batting an eyelash and it just fell out of my mouth perfectly into the microphone i channeled uh, conan o'brien and i said I love you too, ma'am. And the whole place erupted with laughter. That's one of my favorite <laughs> wrestling memories. <laughs> That's awesome. All laughing Holy at the shit. guy without the microphone. <laughs> yeah, you got that's that's an art there because you know, you can either freeze like a deer in headlights, ignore it, or you know, the smallest like quick reaction, which is, you know, a small, quick turnaround there. And you had everyone eating out of the palm of your hands. You know? uh-huh. and, and that's, and, that's to me, that's the fun part about doing the, the live ring announcing, because, you know, if you ever seen any pictures of me, when I do it, I usually got like a suit jacket. That's got bedazzles all over it. Of course I got the bandana and the sunglasses, you know, people <laughs> around here. If, if I run into people in public and I don't have the bandana and the sunglasses, at least, Sometimes people are disappointed to meet me. <laughs> wow. It's kind of funny that way, but it, it's still pretty cool. I like it. Um, 
because like I tell people, you know, people say, wow, Aaron Camaro, he dresses up. Some people think I do look rock and roll, believe it or not. But really <laughs> when I put on my disguise is when I go to my job, you know, that's actually the, the disguise. So when you see me at a wrestling show or something like that, that's more or less who I am. So when you're out there and you're interacting with the fans, I know one time they said, hey, Camaro, you know, you got to go out there. And this is a big fairground show that Crossfire is doing. And, and Marcus, the guy running it says, Aaron, you got to go out there and you got to kill 10 minutes i'm thinking kill 10 minutes what am i going to talk about for 10 minutes to this whole room full of you know all these people so i get out there and i just talk start talking about some of my favorite wrestlers you know and i just start naming them you know when i grew up in wisconsin we used to watch guys like well, I don't know, uh, sergeant slaughter and the people go hey yeah, cheer you know and we're like oh you know the killer bees yeah, cheer cheer you know and just start working my way just name dropping wrestlers that i like you know and grew up liking and every time you know cheer would get and then more and more people are getting into it and then you get up to like the rick flares and and then once you're past the hogan's and the flares and the rocks and the and the stone colds then you start talking about the people that are actually on the show tonight you know because you got them all raised up next thing i know mark's on the ringside going uh yeah you can wrap it up anytime i was like oh has it been 10 minutes he's like no it's been it's going on almost 20 now and i was like oh sorry man okay who's ready to start the show everybody cheers and off we went you know the scariest part is stepping through the curtain you know, and once you're past that curtain, it's on. So see, um, po- podcasting doesn't vary that much from, from the wrestling stuff because uh, do- doing the the name dropping, I won't mention any names of hosts that are notorious for just name dropping, uh, <laughs> you know, on command, basically. But um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Have you ever... Um, had to go to the the point where you had to help set up the ring or help set up concessions or, or anything like that? Or has it been exclusive to more or less the stuff that you've discussed? Well, when I come in and do a show, I don't never have to set up the ring. But mm-hmm. there, there has been instances... One, because I wanted I wanted to learn how to do it. I wanted to set up the ring. You know, I wanted to at least be able to know how to do it should the opportunity ever arise or the need ever arise down the line. And it's you know, it's not that hard to do it. If you got a bunch of guys, you can knock it out pretty quick. But if it's a promotion that I'm really behind, which you know, I, st- I still do appearances here and there, but there's nothing that I'm doing steady in wrestling ever since Crossfire went away. You know, that one really broke my heart, and it never got me back into doing something on a regular basis. I make special appearances for my friends' shows nowadays, more or less, or I do benefit shows. You know, that's really about it. But right. we used right. to do it at Crossfire. We'd go down to the fairgrounds the day before, hang up the curtains for, you know, to block out the corners where the entrances would be and, you know, hang up the light trusses and, you know, set up the ring, set up the chairs, do all that stuff the night before the show and then come back the next day and actually do the show. And then afterwards have to tear it all down, putting it up is fun, tearing it down after a three or four hour show. Not so much. Right. Wow. But I never minded doing it. That's cool too, because you know, Hey, you never know what opportunities could come up in the future and maybe knowing how to set the ring up or whatever would, you know, maybe get your foot in the door if something else were to come up. So, I mean, I get it. And it's also for those that aren't into the, you know, the culture, it's, I don't know if it's a rite of passage to say that you can set up the ring or not, but it's, it's definitely something that everyone has to do 
at one point or another. I mean, with the big shows, the refs are known for doing it. I know with uh, the NXT shows, all the wrestlers have to set up and, and tear down the the ring um, That's because cool. they want everyone to learn, you know, the learn what it was like, you know, years ago, that everything wasn't just handed to you. Um, right. So that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, man, um, I love it. You know, just to me, putting together the ring was never work. It was just something. It's it's wrestling. You know, I love every every aspect of it, including you know assembling the ring. It's just part of it. Yeah, very very cool. So the the next song here that you chose was uh, one of Ken Kennedy's many themes i guess he's what retired now or semi-retired because he started he a, and he and davari are running a wrestling yeah. school up in no sean davari the older brother yeah mm-hmm. and actually they're where did you say they were running it it cut out there for a second up in minneapolis oh okay i thought it was because he's at least he was billed from wisconsin um, yeah, I was born in Wisconsin, but I think mostly because up there, you know, Minneapolis is more of a wrestling town. You know, it's like the difference between Memphis and, you know, Jackson, Mississippi. You know, it's gotcha. just some wrestling towns. Some really aren't, you know, and mm-hmm. and so Minneapolis up there is probably, you know, you consider that or Chicago, the wrestling capital, you know, unless you're a big, you know, Milwaukee crew, uh, Milwaukee crusher fan, which he, he was the first wrestler <laughs> I ever seen. That, that's what made me fall in love with it. Um, but yeah, I think Minneapolis is, you know, the place to be up there as far as wrestling. I mean, there's promotions everywhere, but I guess it works for them. Well, Minneapolis also historically, you mentioned the AWA before that right. that's where they were focused on. And although, you know, Flair has been advertised as being from Charlotte for the longest time. I mean, he's right. actually from up there. He's actually from right. from Minnesota. So, I mean, Minnesota has such a, a rich history when it comes to to wrestling. So that that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Um, it's, See, Minneapolis it's, is okay it's, when you're a tough guy like Rick Rude, but if you're a pretty boy like Ric Flair, you got to be from Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Well, because Rick Rude was, uh, you know, the, the the coldness, I guess, added to his whole heel persona. Yeah. Whereas, I, I guess with Flair, too, the um, Mid-Atlantic is where he really established himself. So right. I guess it make, makes sense to... To bill himself from the general area where he first, you know, gained his his notoriety. Um, the funniest stories that I think I've, or some of the funniest stories I've ever heard, is is hearing Stone Cold reminisce about Rick Rude and, and traveling with him. That you wouldn't expect that he was so um, so religious, um, <laughs> and just hearing stories of Austin cursing up and down a storm and hearing rude uh pretty much say you know tell him stuff like uh you know please don't take the lord's name in vain and and all this other stuff you're like what that's like mind-blowing to hear you know the, right you know, the, and now the watch person. me go gyrate my crotch in somebody's face yeah, exactly <laughs> very religious <laughs> that's like our one our one podcast groupie being a huge striper fan it's really it's strange 
<laughs> oh yeah, I heard all about that. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so, but as far as far as Ken Kennedy goes, man, when he debuted, being you know being a, a natural born cheesehead and a huge Green Bay Packers fan and, and a guy who takes a lot of pride in being someone who was born and raised in the great state of Wisconsin. To see this guy start coming out and making a big deal about being from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and then you know having the ability to get out on the mic and talk, and he was a great worker in the ring, you know, good enough anyway. Maybe not, you know, he ain't no AJ Styles or nothing, but he was good enough, solid. You know, I really expected great things for him, and he was really on a tear there for a while, you know. And so it was great to have this guy that I hadn't for the longest time really had somebody I really, really wanted to cheer for. But when Ken Kennedy came around, that was my dude, man. I never missed anything he was on because I always wanted to cheer for him the same way I cheer for the Green Bay Packers. It made it, it made wrestling that much better for me. Theme song by a band that I really liked, Airborne. Man, that even made it even that much cooler. Yeah, absolutely. The funny thing with that is I missed when he first came into WWE. It was around the time that I moved to Europe. So there was zero presence over here when it came to wrestling at that point, to that Mm. point in time. It didn't actually start coming back around here until... I have to say, oh five, oh six, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, yeah. Wow. Y- yeah, you started. You you started um, like I guess it was because of the video games and them trying to sell the video games over here. You finally got a, a, a new TV contract. There was a, a a new all sports channel and their entire. Midday was nothing but WWE programming. So um, it was a shame. I honestly caught on to him towards the end of his run before he was injured and out for about a year, and then he came back, and then there are the rumors that him and Orton didn't get along and he was cast off as a result and um, and all that. Which because- is a bummer. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the completion of a storyline back when I was writing for main event, you know, for the national wrestling Alliance here in Nashville, that was so important to me that things made sense, you know, and that things were not so unrealistic that it was stupid and things actually came, you know, built and built and built and then gave something and delivered. I never wanted to leave, you know, any stone unturned. I really was meticulous when it came to, you know, getting the guys to, to, plant seeds weeks before anything would happen. And at one time I did a thing where I wrote a whole month's worth of program for two guys that were brothers that were doing two opposite things. One was baby face, one was a heel. And so for a month I built them closer and closer together until they came into conflict with each other. Everybody knew they were brothers just to build up to that wrestling show right before Christmas so that after the match the baby face wins the big brother loves them anyway, respects them, and they hug in the ring. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Stuff like that, cool. you know. And the Ken Kennedy thing where it was all building up to where he was going to be Vince, Vince McMahon's illegitimate son. How great would that have been? 
You know, and then you have him in the mix with Shane and Stephanie, and he's the illegitimate one, but he makes claims to this, and does he really have rights to do that, and can he, you know, there's so many different great storylines that could have came out of that. It breaks my heart that all of a sudden it was just, okay, now it's Hornswoggle. Hornswoggle, yeah. Hornswoggle Don't look, was... look away, nothing more to see here. <laughs> Hornswoggle was the answer for so many broken storylines. It was that, it was the anonymous Raw GM, it was... Yeah. It was so, so crazy. There's, there's never been, even now with the whole Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle thing, it just seems like they, they fumbled that. I mean, we talked about Matt Hardy before, but you break up a, a really good tag team in American Alpha... You slide Jordan over to Raw. You realize that he kind of isn't getting over. Oh, yeah, okay, so let's throw him in a tag team with Matt Hardy because Jeff is now out. That doesn't right. make sense. You should have just left American Alpha together. You know, it, they could have brought both guys over. I don't know, just it, it, that, in the long that run. That thing to run, me seems like something that down the line it's going to be some major twist that – you know, you may or may not have seen coming, but I think there's there's a whole lot more to that story than it appears right now. Because I know that's the thing that, that kind of sucks sometimes talking to a wrestling fan where they say, well, I, that happened last night and I didn't like that and that was stupid and that <laughs> didn't make sense. Well, you know, sometimes it may not make sense right now, but down right. the line, it'll all make perfect sense. And you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened weeks ago. And boy, does that make sense now. You know, that's when wrestling's really good is when you get things like that happening where you really got to think, you know, and you really got to pay attention because you might miss something, a little clue left here and there. When you can do stuff like that as a writer or, you know, as a producer of pro wrestling, you got something good going on for sure. Yeah. I mean, personally, as the obnoxious uh, fan that you sort of just uh, explained there, um, <laughs> Uh, I I mean I'm hoping that somehow it turns out that you know he turns heel and he really you know it comes out that he really isn't his son or or whatever and that's used to somehow you know turn him heel. I mean that's that's my thing. But again, we have here's, so here's many. Here's the way I would do it. You know, and, okay. and this is something this is something I have a problem with because since I was a young kid, I've always wanted to you know be able to. You know, I had the wrestling action figures when I was a kid, so I would, like, do stories, and, you know, I really was <laughs> weird, you know. <laughs> but then yeah. getting to actually do it for the NWA was so great, and now I always watch it with a real critical mind of how would I do this. So here's what I would do. Not that it matters, not that anybody cares, but just, you know, the way I would creatively do it. Jason Jordan is in cahoots with Corey Graves. Those two are good friends. They found out that Gable... His old tag team partner is adopted. They do the research for him only to find out, holy crap, Kurt Angle's Gable's dad. You know, wow, he's going to get all kinds of breaks in the business now because he's Kurt's son. Wait a minute. He doesn't know that Kurt's his dad, but Kurt doesn't know that he has a kid. So we could present this to Kurt because remember, Corey Graves was in the mix with all that with that telephone. Right. To totally steal from Gable the right to meet his real dad because man look at gable and look at angle they really do look like they could be father and son shave that kid's head bald and he's a little kurt angle <laughs> yeah good point i think maybe that was the original idea but it was just too obvious you know you couldn't go nowhere with it 
You got to have that crazy twist at the end that people go, oh, yeah, wrestling is awesome. Now I remember. I mean, what what you're saying makes sense. The the other thing that you could throw in there is, is since they already had her on TV and she's a huge she's a huge WWE mark, throw Dixie Carter into the mix somehow to be that it's, yeah. you know, it was her the entire time feeding Graves the information and this is her getting back at Kurt for screwing her out of TNA. Wow. See, I wondered about that that time she made that appearance, how interesting yeah. it would be to bring her in as a character, what you because could do it, with that. It, it was, that was the week where he came out and said, well, we'll tell the world next week. So, I mean, oh. I think for a lot of people, it was like, oh, they're, you know, she, he had an illegitimate kid with, Dixie Carter, or it was, you know, so, something like that. And when it ended up being Jason Jordan, I know a lot of people are like, huh? <laughs> you know, it sort of didn't make sense. But like you said, you know, you got to sort of let things play out. Because if, right. if, if the end game isn't, well, we screwed this up, let's make it hornswoggle. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then the next um, thing is, how can that be? Who's Hornswoggle's real dad? Is it Kurt? Is it Vince? <laughs> Who remembers Ken Anderson? Yeah, there you go. Poor guy. So, so anyway, back to Ken Anderson. Let's let's hop on some Airborne here, and let's check out the track "Turn Up the Trouble" uh, by Airborne. <laughs> Yeah. 
right, so there was a little airborne. It didn't have the whole Kennedy that uh, was on the WWE programming, but that's the only version that I have. So That was the coolest. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> that was uh, su- such a cool thing, and... Man, they're lucky. They've done a, a bunch of different things with uh, WWE. And yep. from past experience, talking to um, uh, Patrick Kennison, who is currently the lead singer and um, guitarist of a band called Heaven Below, and he's also the uh, guitarist in Lita Ford's band and does right. Ozzy's parts in for um, uh, Close My Eyes. Um, oh yeah, we got was, to see him up in uh, Louisville. He's awesome. Yeah, he, and he's a really cool guy as well. Um, I've had him on the show a bunch of times. I exchange messages with him through Facebook every now and then. And um, he was part of Union Underground. Who? That's right. I like that had, band. Yeah, had the theme song for uh, Raw for quite a few years. Yeah, and was that Mr. Dead Man? No, it was um, uh, To the Nation, I think, is the name of the song. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, where that, was, they, that was a good theme song. Yeah, absolutely. And they would appear, he he would have a um, an acrylic see-through uh, BC Rich Mockingbird, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, he mentioned it to me on the show how you know he still received uh, checks for residuals for that theme song or for that song being played or being included in different episodes and yeah, uh, it appears on the network. Yeah, every so many times it appears on the network, he gets a check. So yeah, with Airborne, I know, uh, Airborne. Jamie Dundee gets checks, you know, and he was in PG thirteen. He didn't, you know, there wasn't a whole lot PG thirteen did in the WWE, but he he did enough to still get checks from that network. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so so that's I mean that's what Airborne's getting. Their song has been used, well, not only for Ken Kennedy but two Hell in the Cells in a row. Their song yeah. uh, uh, "Breaking Out of Hell" is being used. So. Kudos to them. Yeah, somebody around there has got good taste in music. <laughs> yeah, they they started a whole music show on on the network, and it's it's interesting because we obviously know that Kiss was on WCW around the same time Motley Crue appeared in the WWF, which is what led to Andrew Tess Martin. Becoming part of the the WWF, he was one of their bodyguards at that point in time, actually, before training to be a wrestler. And it's it's really been weird. I mean, we're talking about so many great songs and intros that were used, but there have also been a lot of moments where we've heard through the grapevine how a lot of money was dished out. But that the Kiss episode, for example, was the lowest rated Nitro of all time. Um, That's crazy. Bad timing. Yeah. Megadeth appeared on there to um, at one point for Goldberg. Goldberg was using uh, Crush Him as, right. as, uh, as his intro, and they played it live as he went to the ring the one time. 
And same deal. It got zero ratings. Motley Crue doing, um, and this was for one of their greatest hits packages. I, I, I forget if it was one of the songs from the greatest hits that they played in the ring or, or what the exact deal was, but same deal. It got zero ratings. So it's, it's strange. Wrestling fans tune in to see wrestling, you know, and I, I've always said that, you know, 98% of wrestling fans also love Kiss and they also love Van Halen and they also love Motley Crue and these kind of bands, you know, and, and a lot of times it seems like that's true. But, you know, when you're turn, tuning into a wrestling show, you're not really tuning in to see Kiss. Just like if you tune into Headbangers Ball, you're probably, you know, other than guys like you and me, don't want to see wrestlers on it. You know what I mean? It's two <laughs> right. things that are, are g- both great on their own, sometimes not so great together. Yeah, they're, Unless they're you're talking about teams, you know, on the way to right. the ring. Live performances, not so much. Unless somebody's going to come out there and get in a fight in the middle of it, then it's cool. Which WCW tried, I don't know how many times. <laughs> they would have bands playing ringside, and sure enough, there would be some type of altercation between... Uh, you know, I remember one point in time, it was uh, the drummer of a band that they had out, and it wasn't a known band. It was just like someone that was playing in between commercial breaks. I think it was a clash of the the champions. And I forget if it was like Glacier. It was like some wrestler on that level um, yeah. that got into it with the drummer of the, the live band. And you know, this whole brouhaha broke out. And then, of course, because they fought all the way back to the the locker room, it meant that the band didn't appear the rest of the show. So it was <laughs> one of those things. Wow. That's awesome. I seen that one night on Lucha Underground. I forget who it was, but they fought through the band up on the stage thing. And it actually looked like the band really didn't know what was happening. And I like that. <laughs> Made it seem real. Because to them, I think it was. Awesome. Um, that's actually something i got to catch up on, because everyone keeps raving about Lucha Underground, and I've only seen a few episodes. Um, but, man, i I got to try to get up to speed. Um, although, I don't know what, what's going to happen. Start, start from the beginning with Lucha Underground. I was all in for the first two, I think maybe even three seasons. The first two seasons are unbelievable some of the best written pro wrestling i've ever seen in my life the characters are amazing the stories are really good the in-ring action kicks ass you know those guys are all over the place it's a good mix of different kinds of guys and styles and stuff and it's just awesome and then i changed cable providers and i lost it so i'm gonna have to catch up too. netflix (laughs) yeah i sure miss it i need to get netflix just for that just to get caught up on lucha yeah amazing with regards to wrestling as opposed to podcasting and music, has there ever been an instance where you've been starstruck uh, when meeting a wrestler or someone that you've gone to interview with, with Chris as part of uh, Decibel Geek? Mm, no, I don't think so. Just simply because... In in wrestling in particular, you just can't do that. You know, you everybody's here that's in this locker room is here because they're there to work. You know, they're there to do what they're getting paid to do. There's no 
there's no room for, oh, man, I'm a big fan, man. Can I get an autograph? No. You know, that's that's about as professional as a thing that you can do inside it. When you are when you are working a, a wrestling show and you're getting paid to be there, that's about the stupidest thing you can do because now you're getting in the way of things that need to be done by acting like a fan. If you want to be a fan, go buy a ticket and sit outside and then bug guys for autographs, you know? Not that, you know, I wouldn't want autographs from these dudes because they're all super cool, but... Because of that, the whole autograph thing has kind of lost its charm for me, you know. And I, because you know, when it comes on down to it, whether they're professional wrestlers, whether it's whether it's Hulk Hogan, whether it's Shark Boy, you know, they're all just dudes, you know, just like just like rock bands, whether it's Gene Simmons or you know Scott Lucas from Local H, they're just regular dudes, you know. And so when you start acting goofy around them like that, it's it's kind of a put off. Just like it would be goofy if. I don't know. It's hard for me to explain because I'm not at any of those levels, you know, so I can only watch how Chris Sinzak reacts to the fandom and then, you know, act accordingly myself. So starstruck. No, not really grateful, appreciative, you know, admiring of. Oh, absolutely. You know, Brett, the hitman heart to see him. Because at Crossfire, we always had a section and I cool. This is a cool opportunity for me to say this because it wasn't all too long ago that a dude named Burt Prentice was on the Jim Cornette show. And he was talking a little bit about Crossfire, and he had said that, oh, yeah, Crossfire, they, they papered their crowd. I can tell you this for certain, 100%, without a doubt, that Crossfire only had one section that people got in for free, and that was for the Make-A-Wish kids and their families. And, you know, to that, I remember seeing Bret Hart leaned up against the barricade before the show starts talking to the Make-A-Wish kids, being you know, real positive with them, being super cool with them, super nice with them, you know, answering their little questions and everything, you know, and nobody's around with a camera. Nobody's there watching them. I just happen to walk by. And so he's doing it because, you know, because right. he's Brett right. Man Hart and he's an awesome dude. You know, he's got a, You can tell right there. He's got a great heart. You know, that's, that's real. I love that. I'll never forget it. Um, let's see. Mick Foley, you know, getting to do stuff with Mick Foley was pretty amazing. Uh, let's see what else is good. Piper's Pit. I mean, he's amazing. I, I, I can never say enough out of everybody I've probably ever met on the entire planet. Nobody probably blew my mind the way Piper did because he was just so good on so many different levels. And, you know, those that was the same thing. You know, he had just recently had gone through his cancer scare at that time. And so he was in the ring telling those kids during his Piper's Pit about, you know, they told me that I wasn't going to make it. And they were wrong. You know, they were certain that I wasn't going to be able to survive cancer. But I did, you know, and you can too. And it's like, this is great. You know, this is so amazing. Um, one time I was sitting in the crowd and what I would do is one night I got stuck having to ring the bell, you know, and so I'm ringing out and I'm ringing the bell. I'm doing commentary, running back and forth. So that at some point I just jump in with the make a wish kids. And so I sit with them and I say, okay, let's watch this match, you know? And it was one, I'll never forget. It was kid cash and Chris Michaels and kid cash, you know, is dastardly villain, you know, and he's doing all these underhanded things and he's keeping, keeps beating Chris Michaels down, keeps beating him down. And I'm talking to this little kid, you know, and she don't have no hair, you know, and the kids next to her has got a, got a little nose thing, you know, helping him breathe. And, you know, and they're into the match and I'm going, okay, you know, we got to watch for the ending. We got to watch for the ending. So, you know, when to ring the bell and I'll tell you when to ring it, but watch, you know, cause right now it's not looking real good for Chris Michaels. You know, this kid cash keeps, 
you know, he's look, he's cheating again, man, this is terrible, you know, and then, but I knew, I knew how the match was going to end. So I was able to sit and talk and, you know, watch for it. Is this it? One, two, no, no, not yet. You know, get ready, get ready. You know, man, you know, Chris Michaels really getting beat down. You know, I don't think he's got, I, I think he might maybe, you know, it looks like he might give up, but no, now the big comeback and all of a sudden he hits his big super kick and knocks kid cash down, rolls him up one, two, three kid rings the bell. And I was like, how do you like that? You know? Looked like it was he was a goner, but you know that's the beautiful thing about pro wrestling. You know you can you can use it just like podcasting, touch people in so many different ways in so many different places. You know it it can it can mean so much more than what it is. You know as a moment like that, or Bret Hart talking to the Make a Wish kids, or you know whether it be like sometimes in the past we've gotten messages from people going, "Hey, I've been going through cancer, been stuck here in this hospital." decibel geek has gotten me through you know i just discovered you guys and now i've listened all the way through and i I love your show you know and thank you so much for helping me get through this tough spot and of course when we're making it you're not thinking about that you're just thinking about coming out with a good show but when you get a reaction like that or to more than a reaction but to know that you know you're actually helping people nothing beats it you know and i get the same from from wrestling as i do from doing decibel geek in that respect yeah, that's that, that, that's awesome. I mean, on on so many levels, being able to help those kids that way, and you know, I I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, for everyone that bags on on John Cena, for example, he's the person that's done the most make a wish things uh, in history. Um, yeah, and if you consistently look at the list of people that are involved, you always have wrestlers being the ones that are taking their time out and doing these types of things. So um, they're superheroes. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is. Hell, uh, I got into wrestling because my, (laughs) my old man and my brother wanted to, uh, try to annoy me and not allow me to watch Saturday morning cartoons. So they'd flip wrestling on because I didn't like it initially. Until uh-huh. a few weeks into it, I got into it. <laughs> you know, I, had, I, I loved it. And then it, it's been a battle ever since. Well, you're still watching this? Yes, I am. Thanks for turning me on to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, See, I did the um, opposite. My dad hated wrestling, you know, and he'd be like, you know, that stuff's stupid. You know, you know it's fake. Don't you know it's fake? Why you want to watch that? It? It's so dumb. You know, and wrestling would get me in trouble because he hated it so much. And so then I remember one time, you know, because I didn't always get along with my dad the best. And so one thing he was really into was hunting. So I went and did the hunter safety thing when I'm 12 years old. And I really do my best. and I try my hardest. And I end up, you know, graduating one of the top shots in my class. You know, so my dad's actually really proud of me. So deer hunting season comes around. and It's a Saturday morning. It's cold out in the woods. and I'm sitting there with my rifle and I'm not seeing nothing. The only thing I'm looking at is my watch. Because Superstars is about to come on. And I'm <laughs> right. like, oh, man, right. what do I do? I'm going to get in so much trouble. But you know, there ain't nothing going on here. I just go back to the house just for a little bit, watch wrestling, get back out here. No one will ever realize I'm gone. It'll be great. So I jog myself back to the house, you know, strip off all my outside Wisconsin winter gear and set the gun up and sit down and get myself some hot cocoa. I'm watching wrestling on Saturday morning. My dad comes in and goes, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, oh, uh, well, you know, wrestling was coming on. And, oh, man, I don't think 
he's ever been so angry at me in my entire life because <laughs> I chose watching wrestling over hunting. Oh, it was terrible. He was so mad, but I can't That's help great. it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an addict, man. I can't help it. It's the greatest yeah, thing on television. It's it's funny for me. Uh, you know, you mentioned superstars. There was obviously wrestling challenge, and this was all way before. You know, we got to see like stuff on USA and and whatnot. But I also remember as a kid growing up in the again the New York area, the uh, Spanish channels all had you know uh, lucha libre, and they had stuff from you know, Mexico or, you know, they had the colognes from from Puerto Rico. So as a result, you got to see, you know, Captain Lou Albano show up every once in a while. You got to see Piper or Bob Orton or things like that where it was like, oh, wait a second. What the heck's this guy doing on the Spanish channel all of a sudden? You know, so That's- it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. So, you know, they had... For us, you had, I think it was, what, Challenge was on Saturdays, or or Superstars was on Saturdays, and then Challenge was on Sundays, and then they mixed it up so that they were, like, one was earlier Saturday, and one was later on Saturdays, and then during the day, you had it on the Spanish channel, and then at night, then you had the TBS with, um, with NWA, WCW later on. So it was funny. It went from, you know, them goofing on me and trying to annoy me to not watch cartoons to, you've been watching wrestling all Saturday. Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) I learned about watching you, Dad. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, but it's funny because when, when my father first went to the States, uh, one of the first things that, he saw on TV that he would understand was wrestling. He had never seen wrestling here in Spain, but um, every now and then, like when Mr. Fuji passed away a few years ago, I said it to him and, you know, he would always talk about, you know, Mr. Fuji or his tag team partner um, or there was another, there were a few other wrestlers from the late sixties that he would always talk about that he would see on tv all the time um and i mean i don't know um i still have my debates with with my brother for example because he in the last few years has started doing stuff with uh triathlons and has started training where um different mma fighters uh have trained like for example the guy that fought uh cm punk in ufc Um, he actually trained at one of the gyms where this guy was at. So, I mean, we had, we've had all types of debates these last few years over the whole, you know, well, you know, that's fake or that's this or that's that. And shit, I've heard people that have done both. I've heard Josh Barnett, for example, talk about how, yeah, okay. So, um, wrestling is scripted or whatnot, but there aren't too many people that, can go to the, you know, big stage, can go to uh, WWE nowadays and do that for 300 days and not take a day off because you take a day off, you know, for whatever reason and you lose your spot. So um, it's 
I see it as two completely different disciplines in the sense that it's physically challenging one way uh, or each thing is physically challenging in a different way. It's similar to someone saying, you know, oh, well, uh, uh, Neil, Neil Peart is a better drummer than John Bonham is. To me, that's two completely different styles. So to compare both is, is kind of silly, but that's just my It comes a matter of taste I, at that point. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, um, but uh, I don't know. I similar to you. Getting back to with my long-winded answer here, the whole superhero aspect. That's what really sort of hooked me on music, and what got me into yeah. wrestling as well. When I was a four-year-old, and I saw the inside of the the book that came with Alive Two, and I. Still remember to this day seeing the page that had the pictures of Ace Frehley. That instantly made me want to, uh, you know, discover what Kiss was. It was something totally. that was larger than life. They look like superheroes. What's this? It sort of looks like a combination of the cartoons that I'm watching and, you know, and what? And they play music? Wow, let me check this out. Uh, same thing with, with wrestling. Larger than life characters that were so close to, to being superheroes. So, I mean, yes. it was a similar way of channeling, you know, we're getting hooked on both. Yeah. And they really, like you say, they kind of go hand in hand like that. When I was a kid, man, it was Kiss and Hulk Hogan. You know, I love that stuff. And obviously I wasn't the only one that was loving that kind of stuff, you know, maybe just different eras, but still, you know, I was a kid out of time anyway, but to me, wrestling was just crazy. My, my uncle, or I should say my, my great uncle and my grandpa, you know, they watched it. I remember them yelling at the TV and stuff when I was a kid, but never thinking nothing of it. And then I remember one time seeing AWA over at my Uncle Paul's house, or Uncle Roger's house, and uh, it was the Crusher, the Milwaukee Crusher. Everybody loved him, you know, because he was the guy that back then represented Wisconsin the way Ken Kennedy would later on. And he was fighting the Clawmaster, Baron Von Raschke, who was a, a goose-stepping Nazi. So, you know, and <laughs> right. it's just like... What is this? You got this guy chomping on cigars, talking about how what he's gonna do with this other guy. And then you got this guy doing this claw thing, and you'd think, wow, could, would that really hurt? Is that? And I was, you know, from there on in, I was done. And then I had, you know, other friends that would would be in wrestling, and we were like little nerd groups where you'd have the groups of guys over here playing Dungeons and Dragons. We were over here trading wrestling magazines, you know, so that we could all learn about the guys from other places that we'd never heard of. Or, you know, my favorite was always the back of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated where they would send in the results from different places. Right, right. Because then you'd be like, oh, well, these are the same guys that fight, you know, people I've never heard of on TV, but when you see them and they're fighting, you know, wrestling at these shows, they're actually wrestling each other. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite part of that whole magazine was getting to see the, the wins and losses from towns that you couldn't be in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always remember seeing, um, and, and now I have the image of a, of a wrestler in my head and I don't remember his name, but it was a guy who was in world class, or yeah, he was in world class. He was he was one of their last champions, um, and, and it was one of those things where I saw him always in uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and it was oh, when this guy, if this guy ever comes to the WWE, he's certainly going to beat Hogan. And sure enough, he ended up coming up with uh, with Gary Hart, and. 
he was nothing more than a jobber in the WWF. So it was wow. uh, it was so funny. It was like, wait, but this guy was a champion. He was down here in world class, and he was undefeated for I don't know how long. That's and right. so finally, Kerry Von Erich took the belt off of him again, or Kevin Von Erich, or whoever it was at the time. Um, and then when when he came up, damn, I I'm, I'm blanking on on the name. I remember that Gary Hart ended up turning on him. And I always drew parallels to when Gary Hart turned on Terry Funk during the I Quit match with Flair. Where was the old? Are you talking about old like Damian Demento? No, guy, no, no. Uh, this Mondo this guy, or whatever they call him. No, nah, this guy wore black trunks, white white boots, and he had long. He, his his hair was always like. Um, like wet, like Bret Hart's, and it was it was long and like sort of curly. And the guy had a had a mustache and goatee. Um, his I think his name was Al something. I don't remember his his last name though. There's but, wrestling um, fans that are listening to this screaming the guy's name right now. Yeah. You call yourself wrestling fans? You don't you know nothing. Yeah, but you talking about being a Hogan fan? Much like my. Uh, obscure taste in music um i was at the time i i hated hogan because he was so popular i hated all the right. you know, it's always been with with music to me hogan uh hogan at that time would be like nickelback to you right totally i get that because you know i was always in in the hogan era when when hulk hogan was the be all end all number one without a doubt nobody even close in second place i was a fan of weird stuff like you know compared to to hulk hogan i would rather see the heart foundation i really like right. the heart foundation a lot and then i think the next i mean there's other guys i kind of liked and stuff but then the blue blazer when the blue blazer first came on the scene i really liked that because it was he was really like a superhero because he wore a mask and everything and mm-hmm. i'd never seen no lucha libre so i never really knew about masked wrestlers until the blue blazer and then i was blue blazer crazy i mean i thought yeah. just he was the coolest and then to find out later that he's actually the younger brother of brett the hitman Hart. then i was like oh man you know then i was all in on that too because then it made it even that much cooler so then eventually he came back as owen and as far as hogan went you know he was the guy that never lost he always right. won you know if if he lost it was because of some weird thing happening but otherwise nobody could ever beat him and you know, where's the fun in that to me, right. when I really, really became a Hogan fan was when he went to WCW. And at first I thought, well, this is stupid. It's just rehashed Hogan. You know, this ain't, this is dumb. And then when they did the whole NWO thing and yep. Hogan turned and he turned on Savage and dropped the leg drop on him and joined the NWO, my mind was completely blown. I never saw it coming. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The reaction of the fans, and I'm like, wow this is amazing and when that happened then i became a huge hogan fan because then he came back and was cutting those promos as a villain and he was so good at it you know to nobody to that extreme had ever changed from being a good guy into a bad guy you know on that level it just hadn't been done the closest thing i would say would have been sergeant slaughter but that wasn't an overnight thing you know that was he came back and was different now 
You know, with Hogan, it happened in the ring right in front of everybody. The reaction from the crowd was legit. You know, they went from almost not caring about Hulk Hogan, you know, but you have to respect him because he is Hulk Hogan, but not really giving two shits about him because he's so played out to all of a sudden, boom, he's right back and he's the number one wrestler in America again at that time when the NWO first broke out. Everybody was talking about it and everybody was talking about wrestling again because no one could believe that, you know, the say your prayers, take your vitamins, Hulk Hogan could ever turn evil. But he was so good at it. The stuff he would say, like when I remember back in that time when like people, the big thing was like Hogan needs to retire. You know, it's time for younger guys and Hogan needs to retire. And it was like, this is amazing. You know. They have, he has got people just wanting him gone because they hate him so much. And that's the idea, you know, and it's to me, that was so great because he, the whole thing, you know, it was so crowd manipulating and beyond just the crowd of people that are there in attendance, but fans worldwide that are watching it on TV and on pay-per-view to reach that far and just poke that many people in the eye. Yeah, man, that's still one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's funny how all that came about and hearing all the backstory now from yeah. like Paul and Nash and how they had to coach him into doing it and and even Bischoff saying they weren't sure if it was going to be Hogan, if if Hogan would agree to it and if it wasn't him. Who it would have been? Would it have been Sting? Would it have been uh, Macho Man? You know what? How? You know it would have never been the same impact because no. exactly what you said. It was. It was the sugar-coated good guy that everyone had just gotten so sick of, and he flipped the switch. He went from the north to south pole all of a sudden. And, and it was great. He was able yeah, to then turn around yeah. and go, it's because of you. You know, you, the fans, you turned on me. You know, when I came here, I came here to be Hulk Hogan and you wouldn't accept me. So you created this. You can thank yourselves kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And man, I love that. Oh, man. Because like they said, Hogan really wasn't. I mean, Hall and Nash, they were primed to cut those kind of promos. You know, they were good at that already. Hogan, I think it took some work, but once yes. once yes. he got rolling, he understood that, and and it was cool because he wasn't he didn't take himself so seriously that he couldn't be a coward too, because that's mm-hmm. kind of lacking mm-hmm. nowadays. You need good cowards too, you know, people that'll do whatever it takes to win and be successful at it, because that's not the way it's supposed to go, and it's easy to hate somebody like that. He was just perfect, you know. Like I said, I was. That's probably the time in my life when I was probably the most addicted to wrestling. Like, I never missed a pay-per-view, and that was back when they were expensive, or you'd have to go to a bar <laughs> or something. You know, we used to, right. I used right. to go to a bar. This is cool. I went to a bar. It was right up around the corner from my house where I'd stayed, and on Monday nights, I'd go up there right before wrestling started, and I'd put down a 20, and I asked for a beer, a shot, and the remote, and you can <laughs> keep the change. <laughs> And so they'd bring me the remote, and then I could watch WCW, and then at a certain point, then I'd start flipping back and forth between Raw and Nitro. Uh-huh. And after, uh-huh. like, somebody would come up and go, like, oh, you watch wrestling? Cool. Can I sit down here with you? Yeah, you know, but you got to play the drinking game with me. Well, what's that? Every time Hogan says, brother, we got to do a shot. 
So <laughs> after weeks and weeks of doing this, now all of a sudden we've got a whole crew of people that are now showing up at this bar every Monday night to watch Nitro, watch Raw, and do shots every time Hogan says brother. It was awesome. That was my favorite time <laughs> in wrestling just as a fan. That's great. Yeah, that's, good uh, times. That's funny. I just mentioned to uh, the host of Drunken Lullabies um, that he needs to start doing a drinking game with uh, Corey Graves' commentary because I said he makes so many music references. I yeah. said the, the, the game should be the following, that every time he makes a music reference, uh, you have to take a shot. Since he almost always makes a Pantera reference because he always says either strength beyond strength when he's talking about Braun Strowman or he talks about, you know, well, that's a vulgar display of power. You know, he works all that stuff in there. I was like, you have to, all right, so you you get, uh, you know, your good old black tooth grin for for the Pantera references, and then you have a shot of something else for all the other music references, so. That's cool, yeah, that's, I like that, that he does that, you know, because that's like an inside joke for rock and rollers. Yeah. Um, I remember yeah. one time when we did NWA main event, before I was doing any kind of backstage writing or anything, I was just doing commentary, and I was doing it with a guy named Enoch Sarian, and we had one of the best guys I ever got to call matches with, and we gelled really good, and but we were loose, you know, and we'd be funny, but we wouldn't be so funny to take away from what was going on. We found that that happy medium in between being, you know, goofing around and having fun and being serious about the product that we're calling. And right. at main event, the way our commentator our commentary booth was set up was just a table and the people sat right around us. So we realized that some people, the best seats in the house for them was to sit right around us. Mm-hmm. And so they could hear us calling the matches as it's happening. And so we'd get back there and we'd get to be cutting up and goofing around in some of the matches parts and stuff. And he starts quoting Bon Jovi stuff. And he's like, oh, he's living on a prayer now. And, you know, he's just, you know, Bon Jovi quote after Bon Jovi quote. And finally, I'm like, okay, all right, man, that's enough. No more Bon Jovi. And he's got to stick with like one more in there. And I go, oh, God, I can't take it. I I hate Bon Jovi. And the people are around us are sitting there watching the matches. They're laughing at us. And it's like, okay, turn it around. Get back into the wrestling now. <laughs> that's one of the commentary memories I'll never forget is him going off on the Bon Jovi thing that time and making everybody around us crack up. I mean, stuff like that. It's You got to love it. You know, it's talk about like musicians, artists, um, athletes, actors. Nobody is as, hmm, it's how do you explain it? You don't take your favorite actor and say, hey, deliver your lines and then go out and put on this spectacle of a match and it's got to look good and you can't get hurt. And, you know, this is how it's got to go and this is how it's going to end. And then, you know, I want you to deliver these lines to the live audience when you're done. And then this guy is going to come out and he's going to beat you with a chair and smash you through a table. Ask George Clooney to do that on his next big high budget motion picture. He's going to tell you to go screw yourself. Wrestlers do this every single night all over around the country. As you're listening to this right now, there's a wrestler somewhere getting thrown through a table or getting hit with a steel chair. And these they do it because they love it, you know. And when you get to that level of WWE or like WCW used to be or even ECW at the, at its time because they had a unique thing going on, it takes somebody really, really special to, one – 
I mean, you got to have all the to be great because there's there's wrestling promotions all over the place of guys that are weekend warriors and such that that aren't doing it all the time. But to be really at a level where you're great, I mean, you got to have the athleticism. You've got to have, you know, some sort of acting ability, you know, improvisation. You know, there's so many, I mean, just the the good old it factor, you know, you got to be somebody that people can look at and think, okay, this guy's special. Nothing drives me crazier than, you know, a wrestler that looks like he should be sitting in the crowd. You know, he's wearing tennis (laughs) shoes and jeans and a t-shirt and stuff like that. I mean, but I get that from music too. You know, when I look at a band like Nirvana, I say, well, their music's good, but man, would they really have been that great to see in concert? Because I mean, look at them compared to Kiss or compared to Motley Crue, where clearly these guys were the band and we're the audience. You know, there's no mistaking who's who here. And it should be that way with wrestlers too. The other thing that drives me crazy is really tall referees. If you're going to be a referee, you need to be really short. You know, short referees are the best. And wrestlers that look like they're superhumans. I had one time with referees that had two guys with steel chairs on one side of the ring, you know, fending off a giant muscle man on the other side of the ring. And they're standing in the middle going, stop. No. I got them out of the ring. I said, what the hell was that? They're like, well, we thought it was our duty, you know, as as referees and officials to get in the middle and stop this fight. I said, are you freaking kidding me? I said, these guys are superhumans. When we're a part of this show, guys like you, guys like me, we're mere mortals. When I'm ring announcing, I'm always getting the fuck out of the way all the time. Wrestlers walking past me, I'm getting out of the way. Dude looks at me, I look away. I'm afraid, you know, something could go horribly wrong for me at any moment because I am just a mere mortal as opposed to the wrestlers who are something more than human. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, when you got somebody that's just plain, that's no good. It's got to be something special. There's so many factors that make a great professional wrestler that is a lot more than what it takes to be a great actor, you know? And I don't think professional wrestling and I don't think professional wrestlers get their due for being the, the all around ultimate entertainment machines that they are, because there's so many different aspects that they have to be entertaining in to be good at what they do. And a small select few are really, really great. Someone discovered some guys that are hall of famers. You know, but it all it takes so much to be a great professional wrestler. I got a ton of respect for anybody that does it and does it well and does it right. Yeah, I I agree with you. I agree with you one hundred percent. I I think the at least for me, and this this is going to get to the point where my wife is going to prohibit me from watching this. But when I watch the Hall of Fame every year. Um, I can't help but tear up watching it all the time because of thinking of all the blood, sweat, tears, yeah. discipline, uniqueness that goes into you know what they do. Um, seeing people's families out there, knowing that you know instead of being with their families for three hundred days a year, they're out entertaining us. You know, there's so many, so many things that that goes into that, and like. Like I said before, not everyone, and as you're saying, not everyone can do it. Um, not everyone has that it factor plus the ability to, to stay healthy. And Because, I mean, we've seen so many people that, um, that, that you know, could move great in the ring but couldn't, couldn't do anything, uh, you know, on the mic. 
right. uh, or we've seen guys that have been that have had the whole thing and they've pissed it all away because of you know um substance abuse or they got into an accident outside of the ring because they were showing off for this reason or that reason i mean you have uh, unfortunately something like uh, what happened to magnum ta where he wrapped the porsche around the tree and he was he was projected to be the next hulk hogan and right. that changed yeah. in in you know in the blink of an eye he ended up being paralyzed for i don't know how long and to this day he's um he's affected by it he he needs you know assistance to to get around so right. and that's like so, i say they're superhuman when they're in the ring but you know the rest of the time they're just human beings like you and me yeah i i think what you said though makes makes complete sense though people aren't there to see the refs even if you're bill alfonso from back in the day um right. People, people weren't there to see Bill Alfonso. Maybe they were there to see how he would interject himself right, and eventually yeah. get his ass kicked. But he but here's wasn't the else main too, star. Can, here's something else too I can say to the WWE nowadays. I still want to know their names. You know, they might not be you know a big part of the story or a big part of the show, but I think they still have to deserve. Because I mean, back in the day when we were kids, they would at least say the referee's name. I, th- I like I that, think, you know, I we think... we know who Charles Robinson is and we knew who Nick yeah, Patrick yeah. was and we knew Earl Hebner and you get to know the referees too. And I think not giving them names kind of, that's kind of shitty. I don't really like it. Yeah, I guess what now there's, what, Mike Chiodo, uh, Charles Robinson, and I don't really know any of the other wrestlers or any right. of the other ref's names. No, the ones are that you knew from back when they used to let you know what their names were, let you know that yeah. the referees are actually people too. Yeah, the the main event guys, I guess they mentioned, but not not any of the other, not 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 any of the ham and eggers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, cool. So since we did talk a little Hogan there, you did pick. Uh, Voodoo Child slight return here from Jimi Hendrix. Man, again, how cool was it? Not only the the heel turn, but that he was coming out to the ring with Jimi Hendrix. Oh <laughs> man, know? so amazing! I loved it so much. Yeah. That actually reawoken me to Jimi Hendrix because at the time it's like, yeah, you know, you hear Crosstown Traffic and you hear Foxy Lady and you hear these songs on the radio and yeah, you like Jimi Hendrix, but you just heard the same old songs. And then I heard Voodoo Child and I couldn't never remember hearing it before. And I was like, well, that's Jimi Hendrix, you know, that's, oh, wow. You know, I really need to listen to more Hendrix. And then this is from Hulk Hogan doing that. It's like, okay, I got to, yeah, dig in, dig a little deeper than the stuff they're just playing on the radio. And there's some really kick-ass Jimi Hendrix songs that, a lot of people probably haven't even heard. Yeah, I honestly have to say that uh, I think Hogan may have been responsible. He, he probably didn't actually try out for Metallica, and Lars probably didn't want him to play with Metallica, but <laughs> he was probably actually responsible for Voodoo Child starting to get a lot of airplay, at least in my area. Yeah. In the uh, late '90s, early 2000s. So. And I think Mel Gibson used it in a, in that Payback movie. Right. Right. And that's a really great scene. You know that that song just enhances anything. Like if you want people to know you're a badass, 
bring a boombox with you and play that song as you walk into the room. <laughs> as opposed as to a- uh, Peter Gabriel. There you go. There are your two options. <laughs> Peter Gabriel or, or Jimi Hendrix. You want to be a badass uh-huh. or a guy crying outside of a window. Let's see. <laughs> too funny. Hey, it would work for somebody. It just depends on the, the image you're trying to portray. There you go. Do you want do you want to be Chris Sinzak or do you want to be Aaron Camaro? Let's see. Let's separate the men from the boys. <laughs> I got to be me. You know, that's that's what they always <laughs> told me as far as in the wrestling business goes. The it factor is all I have. So, that's all I can go with. I don't have the athletic ability or anything else, so I just got to go with what I am and hope for the best. And so far it's it's been pretty great. Awesome. So let's uh, hop on some Jimi Hendrix here with uh, Voodoo Child. Thank you. 
So for anyone that's uh, joined us late here, uh, well, how can anybody be joining us late? They've probably been listening to the whole conversation here. Um, but anyway, that was a little Jimi Hendrix selected by our guest co-host, uh, Mr. Aaron Camaro, um, talking to us a little bit about wrestling, um, kind of putting us in our place as far as being a uh, armchair wrestler per se, or Monday morning, or actually should be a Tuesday or Wednesday morning um, wrestling pundit. So well, nowadays it's on almost every night of the week, so. Yeah, well, yeah, and if you look at it. Um, what, you got Raw on Monday, SmackDown, and 205 Live on Tuesdays. You have NXT on NXT, Wednesdays. the Lucha Underground. You got the TNA. I get something called Smash Wrestling on some weird channel. Okay, uh, okay. You got the, the Ring of Honor, the Japanese stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It's all good. You know, I just DVR it all, and when as soon as my wife, I hear her whisper a little snore, boom, wrestling comes on. <laughs> so she's not a fan of the wrestling, or is she, it a case she of... She used to... She, was, she, was, she always liked Lita when she was younger. Okay. Um, she, would come to, she would come to the shows with me at first. You know, she, when we got to go as a family, before I started working, um, she would come with... And then every once in a while, she would come to a show that I was working at to maybe take pictures or a little video or something. But as far as, like, I can't remember the last time she's actually come to one with me. My kid even got sick of it. He used to be all about it. But, wow. you know, they're just, they're just not as dedicated as I am. So you can't fault them for it. They weren't brought up right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I took my kids to, um, to an event last year, actually. They were... About an hour away from me, we went. Uh, I found out a few days before, so we were the in the last row of the arena. Yeah. Um, and it was great. We had a, a great time. It was funny because... Um, uh, I guess, oh, it was AJ Styles' uh, headlined against uh, Dean Ambrose. And the right majority on. of the crowd was was chanting for Dean Ambrose and I was chanting for AJ Styles and I had these like kids that were getting flustered in front of me like how can he be how can he be chanting for the heel and um and it was funny because when we got home my oldest who at the time was five was was telling me dad 
I know you were the only one that kept saying AJ Styles' name. I was with you the whole time, okay? So I <laughs> thought it was cool that, uh, that he, he wanted to let me know. It was okay that I was the only one rooting for the bad guy. <laughs> he was with you. That's yeah. cool, man. Good kid. Yeah. So they... Uh, yeah, that's it. They, you got everybody do their part. You know, let, introduce your children to pro wrestling and let them thank you for it because... Like I said, other than, than hard rock and classic metal music, and they're all right up there, to me, it's the highest form of entertainment there could ever be. You know, it's football games are great and everything, but you can't, you can't predict the outcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fun when it's real. Right. <laughs> so I don't get into the MMA. It's not exciting enough for me. So, so much for my I'll only keep you 20 minutes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what happens when I get talking about wrestling. <laughs> I don't that's mind cool. it. Ah, that's awesome. So I know one of my favorite things on Decibel Geek is when we do a year in review show, and then we, you know, because we'll take a whole year, and we basically talk about it through the the eyes of rock and roll. You know, the main focus is the albums and the music that came out that year, but we we'll always break it down and talk about you know events and sports and movies and TV. And my favorite thing is when we talk about sports, I always end it with whatever Hulk Hogan was doing in that year, and I treat it as if it was a legitimate sports event. Well, Drives I'll say, nuts, I love it. <laughs> I'll say that as a kid when uh, WrestleMania was, uh, you know, on uh, closed-circuit TV, I remember the local radio stations would always be like, well, in sports up next, we'll let you know, did Hulk Hogan remain champion or yeah. did Andre the Giant beat him? You know, so I I remember that. I remember that I remember the uh, that Monday morning and rushing over to the TV to turn on the news just in in hopes that they would say who won that match. It, it was, I don't think I got to hear it. I was really bummed out. Yeah, and, and we definitely didn't have the WWE Network then. <laughs> we definitely didn't nope. have pay per view then. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was funny because it was. I remember a select few bunch of my friends that um, that were lucky enough to go to uh, you know the closed circuit uh, viewings and and whatnot. I would just have to wait till you know. Hopefully, they would tell me the next day in school, or um, the news would tell you what Hogan did, or or maybe you'd had to wait till the following weekend for you know the WWF programming to tell you what happened. Yeah. And then you have to wait for it to come out at the VHS store. Yes, yes. Go rent them. I used to rent those pay-per-views when they were on VHS when I was a kid over and over and over. And I'm like, Mom would be like, didn't you already rent this one? Yeah, but it was really good. You know, I want to watch it again. And I'd watch (laughs) that stuff over and over again. Same with, like, rock videos. Right. Yeah, we we were lucky enough to have a video store that actually had both the NWA and the WWF stuff. Yeah. And and it was funny because similar to what I've mentioned throughout the show, how, you know, initially was a rib on me as to uh, not being able to watch things. It all of a sudden became, oh, you're watching this again. So uh, my brother, who always gave me a hard time, uh, if I brought WWF video uh, VHS tapes home, he would watch from time to time, but if I brought an NWA tape home, he hated the NWA. 
So mm. it would almost be a point to bring more NWA tapes home just to annoy him. It was sort of <laughs> my way of getting back at him. So he That's funny. Back then couldn't stand the four horsemen or things like that. So it'd purposely search out things with the four horsemen on it. So <laughs> Right on. See, I didn't hate I loved it all. Anything I could get my hands on, anything I could see. If it, if I could see something I'd never seen before, you know, and then like I said, discovering ECW on a Saturday night on the weird MSG channel that I somehow got in Wisconsin, you know, it changed everything after that. Then I was just so wrapped up into it and just always dreamed of somehow being a part of it and then moving down to Tennessee and saying, Hey, there's actually a way to do it, you know, and then being able to get involved in it. It's it's been a trip, man. You know, I don't have really hardly any bad memories of ever doing anything involved in wrestling just because because i love it so much and i respect its its tradition and its history and i've got tons of respect for people that you know the actual wrestlers the workers that get in the ring and and put in the time and the effort to get better you know and to put on good shows and to give the fans something worthwhile because I mean, if if wrestling would turn to garbage, then, you know, the next generation of kids aren't going to hook into it and get to understand how cool it is. And eventually, just like anything, it goes away. But wrestling is one of them things that, you know, it encompasses so many different things of different veins of entertainment, whether it be drama, violence, uh, humor, you know, everything. There's everything wrapped up in wrestling. There's no limits to what you can do with pro wrestling. And so really there's a little bit of something for everybody. You know, somebody flipping through the channels might stop on wrestling for a minute before they realize, oh, I'm watching wrestling. What am I doing? Back to back to <laughs> ER or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's got a little something for everybody. You know, be a good person. Turn a child on to pro wrestling. That's what I say. And kiss. They, they, they were flipping channels and they saw Mae Young delivering a hand and then decided, <laughs> wait, what am I watching? Let me flip back to ER, they, they, where they're actually trying to deliver babies. <laughs> right. Which one would you choose? I think I'll go with Raw. <laughs> I'll go with the hand. I'll go with I, Sexual I, Chocolate's Offspring. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, you can do anything you want to in the confines of wrestling. Sometimes you shouldn't, but you can. You know, Mr. Sinzak really missed out an opportunity back in August where had he have pushed you the right way and said, get the table, maybe the outcome of the expo may have been slightly different. I'm certain. I'm certain it would have. Yeah, don't don't do that to me when there's a person and a table that belong together like that, I might actually follow through. W- would you have been Devon or Bubba? Uh, let's see. I don't know. Either one. Just so long as the guy went through the table. <laughs> Here's your table, man. A whole lot of inside jokes going on this week's episode. A whole lot, yeah. I wonder why. Well, you know what? That's strange with podcasters telling inside jokes, you know, seeing podcasters up on a stage and I tell a joke, you tell a joke, I laugh, you laugh. It's, uh, well, I don't have a circular table in front of me, so I can't say what I was going to say. So it isn't exactly what, what was said, but it's all entertainment. It's all entertainment. There you go. Regardless whether you look rock and roll enough or not for for someone. <laughs> hey man, 
Aaron Camaro, I think you look rock and roll, at least in my eyes, and that's all that matters Thank to you, me man. right now. I appreciate <laughs> it, and like I said, I don't think it matters if you look rock and roll or not. It's what's inside. If you rock and you know it, that's all you need. He needs a copy of a live three to hear Paul give more or less that same speech. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've always said it as a wrestling host, especially I take a lot more from Paul Stanley and David Lee Roth than I do from Howard Finkel or guys like that. I try to be uh, fun and entertaining while I'm doing it, you know, so I, I got a lot of stage raps and stuff. I have totally, I'll tell you this, you'll love this. I have totally used this place looks like a zoo. Let me hear all the animals. And listen, all the wrestling fans go nuts when you do that in a room full of 5,000 people. Oh, yeah. I've totally stole that from Paul Stanley. Do you use the word listen to start off a lot of your raps? People, listen. People, listen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, as, lo as, as long as you don't say that the next match is really about flying into a black hole, then I guess you're fine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> we used to introduce the guy just for the hell of it as being from the moon. We didn't have no nothing. It's like, well, what are you supposed to be? And he's like, I'm just me. And we're like, okay, so do you have music? No. Like, okay, um, we don't understand what you're supposed to be, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the Star Wars theme and announce he was being from the moon. And he was just a guy that would come in and lose for us. He didn't really care to win or lose. He just wanted to get paid, and he could actually <laughs> wrestle. So <laughs> he was from the moon, and he never won a match. So you, you could have introduced him from Gendrell then? Yeah, probably could have. No one would have known but me. <laughs> so... I have to say that my closest wrestling connection is you mentioned Shark Boy a few times. I actually worked with Shark Boy's mother for about a month. Well, what were you doing? Deep sea diving or <laughs> doing some uh, undersea drilling or something like that? It, it, it seemed like it was something that difficult in real life. I actually had to. Uh, <laughs> quit the job uh, because of, of, of almost the underwater pressures that I was feeling uh, at, <laughs> at, the position. at the position. So, 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 so oh, yeah, way, way before he even got to TNA, there was um, actually someone who I had jammed with in, in a band a few times. He said, oh, so-and-so's uh, son is, is actually a wrestler. Oh, yeah, what's his name? He's Shark Boy. I was like, huh? Okay. So, I, I mean, uh, at the time, I knew, you know, what I saw on TV. And, well, no, I knew what was in the magazines and whatnot. But Shark Boy just so happened to not be in the magazines. So, right. w once he got the TNA, I was like, holy shit, it's so-and-so. It's uh, it's Agnes's son, so um, so yeah, that was cool. And my final uh, sort of wrestling connection here is the final scenes of the movie The Wrestler, where uh, Ernest the Cat Miller and um, Mickey Rourke are in what's supposed to be Delaware. Yeah, is actually a um, is actually the Baker Theater. In Dover, New Jersey, which is uh, where I grew up. Um, 
So we can uh, lay claim to having that movie shot there. Actually, the first movie that was ever shot was shot on the train tracks there. That was shot there. And it's the town where Kirk Hammett's first show with Metallica took place. So there you go. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I got one for you. My brother is in the movie Head of State because he's like in a prominent shot of the crowd because they had uh, Chris Rock come down there in the ring and shoot a promo or shoot like a segment of the movie from the rest from the wrestling show with live fans there and everything. And so my brother is like dead set right in the middle of the crowd for almost all the shots in the movie head of state. <laughs> yeah. We're going to wrap it up with your last pick here. This is my favorite wrestling theme song of them all. I don't think there's a better song you could walk to the ring to, you know, and I think it fits Shane Douglas perfectly. It's a great song, and it's, man, yeah, it's hard to beat coming to the ring to Deep Purple's Perfect Strangers. Yeah, and, and I remember Shane Douglas when he was tagging with Steamboat and thinking, who is this guy? I I didn't like him. I didn't understand him. His stints in the WWF, same thing. And then all of a sudden yeah. you turn on ECW and the franchise, Shane Douglas, it's like, this guy was a jobber in my eyes. What do you mean the franchise? Right. And, and then all of a sudden you catch wind of his persona and everything that was going on. I think when I first, you know, um, latched on TCW, he was part of the triad with Bam Bam Bigelow and with Chris Candido. And, yeah. um, and as you said, Perfect Strangers was such a huge song uh, for me as a kid, um, you know, the return of Deep Purple, it was one of those things where I didn't even know who the hell Deep Purple was. I mean, I'd heard their songs on the radio, but it wasn't like Kiss to, it to me, you know, it wasn't that type of a connection. But the return of Deep Purple with Perfect Strangers, it was like, wow, this group has to be great because this song is great. Yeah. And, um, and again, Makes so many. Too. Yeah. And so many years later, Shane Douglas coming out to the ring with this. It was like, wow, this is so cool. All right, I'm on board. Let's see what he can do now. Let's see what he can do in ECW. And it was a completely different thing to what he had done previously. Right. Yeah, it was It was like night and day from who. It was, I think, maybe my first instance of going, wow, you know, these other companies really didn't know what they were doing or what they had with this guy. Yeah, right, because even right. when he was doing the stupid Dean thing in WWF, there was something about him. I remember even being young and seeing it where it was like, well, this teacher thing is kind of lame, but there's something special about this guy. You know, he could be good. And then all of a sudden he was gone. And then the next time I saw him, like I said, the franchise, Shane Douglas, it's like, that's it. That's something right there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got to imagine mm-hmm. Vince McMahon had to look at Shane Douglas then and go, oh, we missed the boat here somehow. You know, how did that one slip past us? He actually really probably could have been something great had they had he been able to do more of a persona like that in WWE or WWF at the time. I, I wonder if the if the rumors are true though that they ended up on really bad terms with one another because he basically quit that whole Dean thing because he supposedly wasn't into what they wanted him to do and he didn't want 
to deal with the backstage politics and whatnot. And right. Had a lot of Shawn Michaels issues going on at that time. Yeah, so, I mean, similar to uh, to Conan. Conan's another one that's been blacklisted, and apparently the whole reason that Mysterio isn't signing back up with them now is because Conan was, was repping him somehow. So yeah. those are like the two guys that were never able to uh, to ever come back. Uh, they've forgiven a lot of things. I mean, Bret Hart has come back, and Hogan has come back. Well, Hogan is... A different case nowadays, but right. you get what I'm, saying, what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's still gonna, especially with everything that's flaring up in social media and everything else. It's, I think they're gonna wait until that's dead and buried, like a million years before they even broach the situation. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that long. People are very forgiving yeah, of yeah. entertainers that they really, really love. You know, it's it's different when you're somebody that they don't really like, but everybody loves Hogan. And you know what? They were recording him when nobody he didn't know he was being recorded and it was kind of taken out of context. And so I, I think something like that goes away a lot quicker. Yeah, it was stupid. Yeah, you shouldn't say stuff like that, you know, regardless. I mean, I don't. So I don't ever have to worry about being recorded saying it. So, mm. you know. Be a little smarter, especially if you're some kind of celebrity on the level as Hulk Hogan. Got to be a little smarter than that. Well, I guess in January you'll find out how forgiving people actually are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I wonder if Hulk Hogan's going to the Vinnie Vincent Expo. (laughs) Maybe Hogan will go. (laughs) You beat me to it. Vinny wanted him <laughs> to be part of the invasion. Hogan's the new Vinny Vincent invasion. <laughs> there, there you go.
before ending things, anything that uh, you want to plug? Well, I was going to say, you know, maybe to before before I get out of here, I got that little special thing that I sent you. Oh, I know it's not yeah. rock and roll, but it's something yes. that I think has only been played once before. <laughs> and I played it on uh, rock and or roll one time for BJ okay. Kahuna. But who listens to that? Just kidding, BJ. <laughs> but I did play it out there once. But for, since we're talking about wrestling, it'd be fun today. Back, I think this was probably around 2010-ish. I uh, Okay, well, before I tell the story, I'll just tell you. I do the Decibel Geek podcast, hard rock, classic metal, new episode every single week, free on iTunes. You guys are already listening to a rock and roll podcast. If you're listening to Victor, then you're probably going to love us. Maybe not as much as you love Victor, maybe not as much as you love Mars Attacks, but give us a try. If you've not listened to us before, you might like it. Um, so I'm doing the Crossfire Wrestling thing, and Grandmaster Sexay has been being a part of stuff. Um, there's a cool video on YouTube of me talking to him at a, like a little Comic-Con type thing, talking about his upcoming match. It's pretty cool. But I get talking to him, and he's going, yeah, I'm making an album. I'm like, an album what kind of album you know i just when i think of an album i think of you know good music i don't think about grandmaster sex a and uh <laughs> right. so i get talked to them and they're like well you know if if we send you this will you will you do a sample will you do kind of a like a read like do this thing and i said yeah yeah send it to me so they send me the track and i lay some like a, a breakdown in the middle to the song and I think my breakdown turned out pretty cool. It's probably the best part of the song. But when it actually got released on iTunes, this version was cut out. So I think maybe uh, they thought, well, we can't use that because this guy's going to come back and want money. But I can't imagine <laughs> the Grandmaster Sex A album sold too many, uh, too many, too much on iTunes. So, I mean, I don't care. I love wrestling. I'd have done it for free. It's whatever. But so you get the exclusive non-iTunes, unofficial release of Grandmaster Sexay doing I'm Too Sexay featuring Aaron Camaro. Pretty cool, huh? That That's beyond cool. That is extremely awesome. <laughs> well, you haven't listened to it yet, so I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the worst thing you've ever played on Mars Attacks. I can now lay claim to that. I was a part of it. I don't know. I've played my own music on an episode, so who knows? People, yeah, uh... well, I can't imagine <laughs> that you're <laughs> on the level of uh, of what this is. Um, before even listening to it, would you consider it better or worse than Macho Man rapping? Ooh. Um, I guess I'd have to consider it better just because I'm on it, I guess. That's All the right. only <laughs> that's the only edge it gets from me, because that Macho Man rap stuff was pretty terrible. <laughs> it's an acquired taste, I guess. I guess. <laughs> that's nothing I want to acquire. Yeah, Love few eons Sam worth of listening. The all-time greats, but not at rapping. <laughs> if you had your choice. Desert Island, Macho Man's album, or any Nickelback album? Oh, man. Chris is going to hate me for this, but I'll probably go with any random Nickelback album. For one, I don't <laughs> like rap. It, I don't know. Randy Savage doing it. I, it no, I just can't. 
just can't do it. I don't listen to any rap at all, really. I, I would beg I mean, to differ with that. Are you, are you telling me that you never said in the ring that uh, you are cool, that you're the breeze? Um, I don't know about that, but I will tell you this. Since since I am more of a, a character host instead of just your straight ring announcer, I actually get to have theme music of my own. And what I use for theme music to get myself to the ring is uh, Space Bear, the instrumental off Anomaly by Ace Fraley. Huh. So that's Very what cool. I use to get to the ring. I don't I don't need the whole six minutes of it, but I use like the first two. It gets me to the ring. It's a it's a good strolling, high fiving people on the side of the ring kind of tune, and I like it a lot. It works for me. Now have they ever played it with the ace excerpts included by mistake? <laughs> no. <laughs> I use the one bear. straight Hack. off the album. <laughs> oh man. In any event, let's get into um, a little Grandmaster Sexay to uh, wrap things up here. I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to the listeners now before this happens. (laughs) But it's something that needed to happen here today. It it was, uh, we were obligated to do this. This is almost like a PSA. Right, yeah. Don't don't (laughs) let Grandmaster Sexay talk you into crazy shit. (laughs) There you go. All right, we have to thank Aaron for, for coming on the show, and hopefully it won't be another two years of badgering before he comes back on. <laughs> hey, man, anytime you want to talk about wrestling or rock and roll, I'm your guy. And I've had fun here tonight, Vic. Thanks for having me on Mars Attacks. So cool. You know, I know your listeners are really awesome because, I mean, they listen to this show all the time, so that makes them automatically cool. So, you know, it's an honor for me to be here for them, for you, for people tuning in because I'm on here, for wrestling fans, for people that only tuned in to hear the music and have no idea about anything else we said, thanks for sticking (laughs) around. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for checking this episode out, and we'll see you next time right here on Mars Attacks. I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. Too sexy for a 
Casey, you never face me. I'm the Grandmaster, you know what I mean. And I do the hip hop drop off the top rope. Yeah, off the top rope. Off the top rope. Yeah, I get some glory on the top rope. one so far, setting him up for it, and yes, patented missile dropkick nearly takes his head off, but wait, Christopher's not done yet, he's headed way up to that top rope, Christopher's deadly with his aerial assault, and he's got his goggles, he's shining them up, and he's ready for takeoff, and so blam, hip hop drop, one, two, three, it's over, the Grandmaster wins, it don't get any sexier than that. Listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 